The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Roddy Cat, and you can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. You can find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. There we go. And the sound effects you have just heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn, one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Nice. This here is the Combo Chronicles, and you can find this here podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network, that's CSPN.us. Do it today. You could also find us on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts, aka all that, what I just said, um, SoundCloud, and uh, the, the yes, yeah, so the Coastal of the Podcast Network SoundCloud page, and I'm already watching this already up. <laughs> and I think I said Spotify. Yeah, w- yeah w- w- uh, just uh, make sure to uh, like and subscribe and leave us five star reviews. There we go. Yeah. And of course, we uh, record every Thursday night, 9 30 ish p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on the YouTube channel of The Click Nation. That's youtube.com slash The Click Nation. And also twitch.tv slash Combo Chronicles. Again, remember to hit like and smash that subscribe button and uh, leave us good reviews. Thank you. Indeed. And we start this show off tonight with um, a recap of Star Wars The Book of Boba Fett, Episode 6, the penultimate episode. Yes, the episode is titled From the Desert Comes a Stranger. And there is a very (laughs) specific scene in this episode that uh, is a reference, you know, that, that the title is a reference for. Yeah, and and apparently has a, a well, uh, as some other people are taking it, there's also another meaning uh, for it also, in, in a way. But yeah, but that one's definitely uh, <laughs> the pinpoint right there. So, but we'll exactly. get into that in a second because um, so it starts off with uh, as um, I, I'll let seventy start this off. But we start off by uh, a. Um, Catching up with a character from the Mandalorian, which uh, Agent Seventy calls uh, uh, 
Cobb with the good Cobb hair. Cobb Vance. Cobb Vance with the good hair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who we were joking before the show it was like, yeah, clearly we like. I don't know where he's getting his conditioner from in in a on a desert planet, but he's he's uh. He's got some uh, good hair practices going on. Right, because, listen, you know, the, our, our introduction to him was, was when we discovered him wearing the Boba Fett armor, including helmet. Mm. And he took off his helmet when the Mandalorian confronted him about the origins of the armor. And he took off his helmet uh, in uh, a bar in Mos Pelgo. And, you know, his, his, his hair was, like, mad smooth still. Right. Obviously, it's a Hollywood trick, but... You know, he literally just had that the helmet put on, so it hadn't had a chance to give him helmet head. But exactly. uh, it's it's just funny that we see him again, and obviously he doesn't have the uh, the helmet on at this point. He's now wearing armor, which becomes a point during this uh, episode. <laughs> and uh, he still got like the, uh, the 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 smooth, good hair, and right. it's just pretty. You know, it's just something that my eyes went straight to. I'm like, oh man, look at that. <laughs> yeah oh yeah like and like we were saying before the show like yeah you kind of can't help it because it's just the poof like poof there. <laughs> so it's just like a quaff it's just like you know right yeah. there like wow mm-hmm. you know Perfect. if there's if there's one thing you know there's there's there are hollywood actors and actresses that that are obviously there for their looks but every once in a while you get someone who who also has the hair right you know and and, and it's just kind of um it, it's kind of not distracting, but it definitely catches your attention, right? Or at times don't because now that I think about it, he played hit, the Hitman, which who's bald in a, in a Hitman movie, for those right. who know the uh, video game. Um, but yes, Tim- Timothy Olyphant is back as, as Cobb Van. We see him busting up a um, uh, uh, um, uh, a spice deal uh, with the Pikes. Uh, which is kind of slightly kind of funny because this is like okay he, he just walks up and is like you know if this, if uh, the Mandalorian's Western uh, Western roots didn't show already then this kind of reminds you hey it's it was totally there because he comes in all Western sheriff like like we don't do any kind of dealings here although he calls it Moss Pelago and later we find out it's called Freetown uh, which uh, uh, from what I'm saying came from one of uh, uh, a book but regardless. Um, he basically runs the pike out of there after, well, excuse me, the the last remaining pike after shooting down three of the four of them. Right. <laughs> and and it's like, you must be the smart one. Like, all right, take yeah. spice, go and leave. Um, and, and, and well, excuse me, just take your, take your canister, take your ice cream maker and, and go and, and leave the spice, which he kicked. Then he, uh, after they leave, he kicks that over. And what do we find? Cinnamon. It's a whole box exactly. of cinnamon. Exactly. It's interesting because just for a half second, you think maybe he's going to take the money, but he doesn't. Right. You know, if just for a half a second, you wonder, well, you know, what is he going to do? Is he just trying to get a cut of the spice trade just so that uh, they'll leave his area of his specific area of Tatooine alone? But, you know, it turns out that Cobb Vanth actually does want to uphold some, you know, law and order. Right. And and uh, is trying to keep the pikes as a whole out of his, you know, out of his assigned area. Right. And ultimately, this does in fact come back to him when we get to that point later in the story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I said, he kicks off with the the box of cinnamon, and I thought it was like the wind's blowing, and I'm like, he's clearly <laughs> gonna catch a whiff of that, <laughs> the way the wind was blowing, because it was kind of blowing back at him. I'm like, okay, he's just gonna 
just gonna catch a high off of off of uh, off of doing this thing, right? But um, but that, right. So the next, yeah, thing. I was about to say. So the next part, the next part of the episode is probably, I can't even say it's the most shocking because there, yeah. this episode is full of shocks, and uh, you know what we did not ring is the spoiler bell so we've already spoiled just a little bit of the episode but if you are not interested in hearing any actual spoilers of the book of boba fett episode six uh you may want to pause this uh podcast and come back to it when you have watched it or you know put your fingers in your ears and say la 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 for like 20 minutes if you're watching live or tune away or just leave it on and walk away or or if you're you're What's that? Or if you're John Economist. Exactly. Well, that's, I, I was about to say that that's an actual reference to something else that we're probably going to ring the spoiler bell for. Mm-hmm. So uh, here we go. Spoilers uh, for about the next 20 minutes or so in <clears throat> three, two, one. So, yeah, like like uh, like I just said, say, we cut to after after uh, after that interlude or uh, entry interlude uh, to. Space travel. Um, <clears throat> yes, we we see Din Djarin, the, the Mandalorian, go to this uh, forested planet that is not indoor. Right. He's using he's using the modified Naboo starfighter that we saw uh, in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. So and apparently, yeah, so it's like, well, they got bamboo in space. So and um, and and, there, and there's surely a lot of it around there. Uh, we see. Uh, <clears throat> We we see the the Mandalorian land. He runs into R two D two, which as soon as I saw the sensor, I was like, "Oh snap, R <laughs> two! Absolutely, absolutely." And you know, um, because my my first instinct was, "How on earth does Mando know where to go?" And right. you start to realize, "Oh, maybe he has." He probably you know, in on left a forwarding address. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or he, yeah, he honed in on. Well, how did they know he was coming? That was the real question, I guess. You know. Well, I figure, you know, as as you just mentioned, R2 could sense, you know, he had his, sensors, his sensor array up. Right. But you wonder if Mando wasn't communicating with R2. That's, yeah, that's that seems to be the, 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 the prevailing wisdom there. So, right. um, but yeah, he lands, uh, talks to R2. And actually, I, the one thing that I've, that I've noticed, which um, I don't think we talked about that much uh, with that real quick, was that in the beginning of The Mandalorian, he did not like droids. And the last couple of episodes, he's been like, "Hello, friend," <laughs> like Lil Bill or something. But um, it's it's evolve, you know. Right. It's the evolution of the character, exactly. Evolution of the character. So you know, it's interesting how far that character has come since we last saw him. You know, exactly. and spoilers for the previous episode. He's <laughs> technically not even a Mandalorian, at least according to well, the rest yes. of Death Watch. Correct. But yeah, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that in season three of The Mandalorian. But anyway, right. so um, he he hooks up with um, R2, and he basically says, "Yeah, take me to Luke. I want to see Grogu." Uh, so R2, and you could always tell R2's like, uh, "I don't know," but okay. So we see here um, R2 leading the way. Uh, Mando's following him, and he's hence the fourth calling him Mando still, even though he's stripped of his title. Um, or Dan, whatever. Um, yeah, nobody else knows that, but yeah. Right. So, uh, so goes off uh, to to this one point. Uh, then, well, actually, excuse me, they start that off, and then we see Luke training with Grogu, right? Uh, AKA Baby Yoda. 
Um, and uh, of course, as Grogu t- wants to be, he's kind of distracted by some frogs, as because he's you know he's a little snacker, so <laughs> so he's right. trying to trying to pull a frog right. out the lake and and um, and uh, have it for for a little snack, and then Luke's right. Like, this is part of the yeah. This is this is a a, a part of. I guess the what we're what we should acknowledge is that a lot of this episode is, you know, bits of a Jedi training montage right. spread out, right? Because we have you know different stages of Jedi training interspersed throughout this episode as we follow Grogu and now Master Luke, right? Um, in this episode so right. that you know just keep fact, that in mind because it's it's interspersed around you know ev- events of the episode right Might, not only that but it's familiar training because it's basically some of the same training that is the same essentially the reverse of the same training that luke got from on dagobah from yoda right in, in certain parts of it Right. He's still doing Luke is actually still carrying and this is of note. This is a, I thought this was interesting and it made obvious sense as soon as I realized it, that that Grogu's just not up to doing a lot of that stuff on his own yet, well right. although he grows into it. Right. Uh Grogu is being carried in a backpack, mm-hmm. much like Yoda was by Luke in Empire. So uh, you know, once it once it once that realization hit me, it's like, oh, so this is a parallel to that, but it's meant to be Luke training Grogu. Right. So, in fact, I, okay. okay, I was about to say, in fact, uh, uh, during part of this, which is part of the car part, because we can kind of put some of this all together, being that's been the case, because Luke talks to Grogu about Yoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they're walking and talking, and I do like the fact that Luke's using the Force to kind of kind of bring uh, Grogu along when they're talking about him, uh, right? Just to keep the keep the conversation and the pace of their walk moving because mm-hmm. Grogu is not that fast, right? At least not yet. Because I imagine he'll be he not well once he ends up getting to the later point in the episode. He, I'm sure he'll he will get to that point cause now that he will have known. He would have get trained. He would have gotten trained enough to be able to do force jumps. He'll move a little bit better. Yeah. So, but anyway, in the in the first part of it, um, uh, Luke talks to to Grogu about Yoda. Tells him about it. Like, yeah, he's kind of like he's short like you. He's like, do you remember anything about uh, your home? And obviously, Grogu doesn't because all he remembers, from what we know, is he just remembers the the Great Jedi Purge, which he unfortunately gets retreated to because. Um, um, Luke uses the Force to uh, to bring that back up. Right, I was kind of disappointed by this port by by this particular revelation because right. I was hoping for more insight into where Grogu is coming. Gro- actually, Grogu actually comes from, but except suspect, what we see is Order sixty six from his point of view. But I suspect we may possibly get more of that in, in Mandalorian during season three. Uh, should think. Right, I was hoping for more of a hint. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, we we did get a, a slightly different perspective because we, uh, well, because we see Order sixty six going on, we see the the the, the, the troopers kind of going at three Jedi's and getting getting the three Jedi's getting gunned down, and then the last we can see is the shadow coming over Grogu, possibly some whoever helps him uh, get out of the temple. We still don't know who that is. Yeah, that was the part I kind of really wanted to know about, but I guess like I said, mm-hmm. we will potentially get that at some point, hopefully. Uh, but in any case, uh, like I said, uh, name cuts back to um, the the present, quote unquote, 
and um, and Luke talking to him. Then we cut back to the Mandalorian, who uh, reaches where basically the building site of the temple of Luke's temple with some ant droids and uh, R2 and, and he's like, okay, so where's Luke and Grogu? And R2's like, hey. Mm-hmm. He literally <laughs> shuts down yes. and the ant droids build Mando a bench so he can chill right. because it's going to be a while. <clears throat> right. And the funniest part about this is that you know, we're all anticipating something and we're literally forced to wait as we get some more montage, uh, more more elements of the training montage. Right. But ultimately, the person that is uh, brought to meet or, 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 or is arranged to meet Din Djarin is none other than Darth Vader's Anakin Skywalker's former Padawan, Ahsoka Tano. I, so I loved and hated, well, not hated, I, I loved this part, but also it was kind of sad, I should say. Um, because? Because, and especially with her, which we'll, we'll get to, because she has a couple of interactions in this uh, in this episode. She first interacts with uh, Mando and tells him, like, yeah, you know, you might not want to you know, you might not want to be here. So basically, if, from what people are saying, R2 might have been the one to contact, kind of gave gave uh, Mando a swerve and contacted Ahsoka. I don't know how true that is. Uh, and it just so happened that she was there for some reason, which I know people have been speculating could have been the case, that she all of them would have been in the same place and kind of, you know, circum, uh, short, circumvented the, some meetings. So, but anyway... Um, but it's kind of sad because of the fact that it was like what well, she's got to tell him, pretty much reiterate what she told him when she met him in the first place. It was like, yeah, and if he's going to be a Jedi, he's you know you gotta his, y'all y'all's attachment is too strong. If he's going to become a Jedi, you kind of got to let him go. And you could you could hear it in in Den's voice. It was like, but I, I came all this way. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, even though he he tried to he tried to mask it, it as like, no, I just wanted to bring him this little this this care package that I got him. You know, that that, that I sent it for him. And it was like, That's can I just funny. give it to him? And 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 she was like, No, if you if he sees you, then he's just gonna, you know, it's gonna. It'll make it hard. Like, yeah, that, that's gonna, that's it's, that's, it's pre- that's exa- I, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what she says. Yeah, it's, it's just going to make the 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 goodbye harder. You know, that's right. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's essentially right. what she means. Yeah. And uh, basically, Dinjarin is convinced by this, mm-hmm. and. Uh, gives Ahsoka the little wrapped up what we find out, what we confirm later to be yes, uh, a shirt of Mithril armor. I mean, uh, Beskar armor. Um, <laughs> it was like, yes, we were right. Which I mean, wasn't hard to wasn't hard. It was like, shit, he got a Mithril vest, uh, a shirt. Nice. Exactly. So, uh, you know, so 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 Ahsoka takes that little bundle. And uh, Din Djarin uh, uh, reluctantly leaves Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And what we do see is um, Grogu uh, seeing the Naboo starfighter take off and leave. And I'm fairly certain he senses who's on the ship. Oh, absolutely. And it's leaving. Right. Which, which kind of surprised me because I was like, I'm surprised he didn't feel it before then. In fact, one part of me thought was like, okay, maybe he does feel it, and that's why he's also distracted because you know because he was on there for a good. Uh, uh, Den was kind of there for a minute, so I'm just kind of surprised he didn't sense it. Sense right. him. But yeah, like you said, uh, that happened. Uh, Den left to go back out to his Tatooine, which also brought me to another situation real quick because I was like, 
I I kind of would have wanted Din to uh, talk to Luke, even though I know this wasn't going to happen. But because it was like, hey, yeah, I'm on my way back to Tatooine because there's some shit going down on your home planet, yo. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I know that wasn't going to ever happen. You know, it's like, yo, the Pikes are taking over or trying to take over Tatooine and Boba Fett's doing this thing. And, you know, I'm about to go back over there. And, and obviously, you know, that would have been great to see because uh, Luke's like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> or well, I mean, Luke, like, yeah, I what's don't funny care. is that Luke, you know, Luke is no longer no longer has any source of attachment. Correct. To tattooing at this point. Well, I mean, so, his friends are still there. But... I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. That's it's funny to think about that way. <laughs> think about the whole thing that way. Right, but, but nevertheless, um, it doesn't happen. So yeah, so right. we go back to uh, Luke and uh, Luke and Grogu training. We see the uh, the training droid, uh, the familiar training um, remote droid from uh, A New Hope. Uh, take a take a take a swipe at um, um, at Grogu uh, before he gets it, because uh, Luke's teaching him how to do a force jump. Um, which he eventually ends up getting, which goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, Although it's a very, it, there's a very tough sequence to watch involving mm-hmm. the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the testing droid, the, uh, the training droid, the, uh, the where, where Grogu is essentially forced into, uh, using his reflexes or, or using his force enhanced reflexes. Okay. Sure. 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 Yeah. Well, 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 you know, basically, where the the the, the training droid shoots at at, at at Grogu, and it's a pretty sudden shot. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, the first shot. Yeah. 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 Sure. That mm-hmm. very first shot is is kind of jarring. You're just like, wait, what do you do? Oh, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it's happened to Luke itself for the fact that Luke actually got hit. Well, I guess because I'm presuming because it looks like it was like real close, but didn't actually hit him. Hit Grogu. Right. But, no, know, exactly. But, it was at his feet. Right. It was at his feet, and it was very funny because you have to remind yourself he's fifty, right? <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. But 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 ultimately, um, uh, ultimately, at this point, we get. Uh, so at this point, you know, uh, as Roddy Cat said, we have more the 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 jump jump and mobility training mm-hmm. and it was uh, exciting to see because it's a real step in grogu's physical emotional and force development all at all in one right because we're getting to see grogu what grogu could be as a more mobile character as opposed to being very to this point very stationary being you know limited to very you know uh 50 year old baby steps right as it were Right, and then I think this is the point where we cut back to Tatooine, where Din gets back to Boba's palace, and there's a briefing on how to handle or how to handle the Pikes in a way. And they basically said, "Hey, yeah, uh, between between Din and Chrysanthemum, you know, we got muscle, we got enforcers, we just need some more muscle because you know these little mod kids on their on their space vespers, you know, can only do what they do." Right. <laughs> right. So they just need they need volume. They need numbers. Right. Because so, they actually have some of the deadlier uh bounty hunters in the galaxy. They just need like literal actual numbers. Before, right. you know, like as the lead up to this though, I thought it was a really nice shot of the Naboo Starfighter docking in the spaceport of oh, yeah. Jabba's now Boba Fett's palace. Mm-hmm. I just thought I just thought that was a really nice shot. Oh, you know, totally. it's not something that we're used to seeing 
and it was just a really cool uh, docking approach. It was just like, oh, that's actually really cool. And as Roddy Cat said, uh, there is a meeting that uh, Mando does, in fact, get back to. Right. Right, and that one Gamorrean guard who who approaches Din when he when he ducks, mm-hmm. which almost kind of mirrors what happens in a in a in a slight in a in a lesser way what happens uh, uh, in a little bit because so after this Din's like yo I know somebody I know some people because they needed some some more bodies so uh, Din goes off to um, to um, I forgot the name of the place now. Uh, Freetown, basically, but I can't remember the name. What they, what they call it? Moss Pelgo. Thank you, Moss Pelgo, uh, to recruit um, Cobb Van and his people because, because as we know from the Mandalorian, he helped uh, or they helped them with a, a crate dragon uh, problem. Well, excuse me, helped the Tuscans with a yeah. They a teamed up dragon. with the Tuscans to right. deal with the crate with the crate dragon that was basically bedeviling both the citizens of Mos Pelgo and the Tuscan. So, right. And we see the skeleton of said, uh, uh, thing from on the, the Jawa skiff, uh, <laughs> uh, as he was going. And apparently, I don't know, I guess the Jawas, it was, must've been the same Jawas, uh, obviously, but also they knew it was then in that starfighter for some reason. Um, right. It was just very odd to see that gigantic skull mounted kind of like, uh, bullhorns on the top of, the uh the, the the Jawa what is it called? Um it's not a skiff. It's a um I forgot sand crawler, I think. Yeah. Sand crawler. Sand crawler. Right. Yeah. The gigantic sand crawler. Yeah. So and which is but some people so it's like, yeah, it's kinda metal though. It was like, yeah, it kinda was, but also but I'm with you. It's like, yeah, that's kinda weird. And how the hell did they get it up there? Because I know Exactly. <laughs> it's like how'd you get that up there? Right. Like I know they have a crane for certain stuff, but it was like there's yeah, but I, somehow the way the little fellas got it got it up there, but anyway, right. so they pass, he passed by them, ends up going to meet in Cobb Van. But first, we get a meeting with his his very irritating uh, deputy, who was like, "You can't <laughs> land here, you know, you can't land here. You got to land over over there in the in the salt in the flats." And I was like, "Well, yeah, he's basically in he's basically enforcing parking regulations, right. not knowing who he's dealing with." Exactly. And Cobb Van steps in and says, "I'll handle this deputy." Hmm. But from that meeting, you can already tell something's going to happen to to that the little mouthy dude. But we'll get to that in a second because so Cobb Van and um, Mando have a chat over over a drink, and you know Mando's trying to get trying to recruit him as peaceable. Cobb's like, you know, I got this area, and it's not our problem. Well, at least excuse me, the mob bartender was like, yeah, it's not our problem. We don't. We, that's the that's some city city folk stuff. And Cobb Van's like, yeah, it's kind of not, but you know, he but he he finds himself thinking about it. Um, and basically, he basically says he'll get back to Mando, who leaves. I was like, "All right, cool, just think about it." And then he leaves. And then I think we cut back to—I uh, forgot the name of the planet that uh, the Lucas training on, but regardless, or Lucas training Grogu on. Um, incidentally, I believe uh, the the temple that is being built is the same one that gets burnt down, and that we see get burnt down in, in um, Last Jedi. Or is it yeah, I was about or? to say it, it, it gets it, it's the one that we see on fire in the movies that shall not be named. Oh no, shots fired! <laughs> so it is. So and these and those but, uh, no, but but let's not skip past what we actually find out. Oh, I know. Well, I, I, just, I don't I remember. Don't right. that back I don't up. remember if this is. I think this is the exact order in in uh, of the chron- uh, chronology because we are going off of 
uh, somebody else's chronology because there's so much to digest right. in this episode that it was just a bit much for us to sit down and write. Right. But we are. But what we find after uh, uh, Din Djarin mm-hmm. leaves Cobb Vanth for uh, you know to get back to Boba Fett's palace, uh, there is a lone figure walking out of the desert into oh, yes. out of the 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 the, the dune sea into Mos Pelgo. Yeah, this and is like it right is after. again a very much a western callback. Right. Because yeah, you, you are correct. everything from everything from the shape of the figure, what the figure is wearing, to the shots that we see of both the figure and the characters in Mos Pelgo that sense the figure coming in from Cobb Vanth to the uh to the punk deputy who's only been on the job for a little while and even the citizens of Mos Pelgo who are told to get into uh to take cover to take shelter if anyone has ever watched anything remotely of the western genre you know what's about to happen right so and what happens question. we have an entrance of a character wait 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 before from... you get to that before you get to that before you get to that how long did it take you to recognize who it was not 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 long because okay. of this. Like I said, that's why when I mentioned the shape and the silhouette mm-hmm. and very Western themes. Right. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I think I know <laughs> who that is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I had to search my memory banks to remember his name because it's just been a while since I'd seen him. Mm-hmm. Although he has been in uh, the anime. Well, obviously, as I said well, earlier, Trump, he yeah. was a character that premiered in the animated series mm-hmm. and has been in uh, everything, including the recent Bad Batch uh, series. Right. And we get um, we get the live action yes debut of one Cad Bane Cad for the Bane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, when I saw so because so when we saw Cobb kind of looking out and saw him in the, in the figure, I was like, at first I'm like, at first I was thinking it was the other, um, uh, the other. I don't know if you remember the other uh, Bonnie Hunter that kind of had the, like a the um, almost like the uh, the um, the bowl kind of hat that had the that had the sniper rifle from Clone Wars. Didn't really say that much. But he was with his right, other group. Right, right. I but it was, it was a shape, the shape was so obvious. I know, but That's but then, the yeah. well, but then the, the second time they cut back to him, I saw the I saw the duster, and I was like, oh shit, I know exactly who that is. Oh no, it was the hat. The hat totally right, gave it to me. I mean, I, I I guess it was just the overall silhouette. Right. Yeah, the overall well, silhouette. Me, the hat, you're right, yeah, yeah. No, as soon as I saw the hat, I was like, I know exactly who the fuck this is. I'm like, oh, is like cops dead? <laughs> yeah, like, it was Cobb's a bad sign. It was a bad sign. So, just yeah. as an as a quick aside, right? And I was reminded, thanks to this article, that Cad Bane does in fact show up in the Bad Batch. Yes. So, uh, you know, we know that uh, Fennec Shand was introduced into the animated series in the Bad Batch as well. Right. So it's interesting to see uh, these two characters now logically going to meet up or likely going to meet up in live action in the next and and, and, and ultimate episode of of, uh, the Book of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. But um, they do interact, mild spoiler alert, for the Bad Batch because I know Roddy Cat has not watched it. But I did. Well, but thanks to like Easter videos, I did kind of catch on to that. Okay. And I did know that Fennec Chan was in Bad Batch prior to that anyway. But yeah, and I didn't know that. I don't think I knew that Cat Bane had showed up there. But I'm not surprised because he's been all up and through uh, Clone Wars. So, 
Um, but nevertheless, so yeah, so we get to so we get to the uh, the meeting of yeah. uh, Cobb Vance. I was about to say and... the character has been around for a while in yes. the animation, you yes. know, because he time. was in Clone Wars. Does he show up in Rebels at all? I don't think so. No. Okay, it's mostly so it's Clone Wars and Bad Batch. Okay, right. But so yeah, so we get to the meeting of Cobb Vance and uh, Cad Bane, who pretty much comes with an ultimatum. Saying, "Hey, you know, you don't want to get involved with uh, the whole this whole Pike situation, and Boba Fett's uh, Boba Fett's a killer. You don't, you know, you don't want to be on that side. Obviously, you know, Cod, Cad Bane has had some dealings with uh, with uh, with a younger version of uh, Boba, so he kind of knows him. <laughs> so kinda, yes. Or at least he, at least he has a he has some uh, some personal uh, uh, interactions to right. uh, to reference here." But uh, obviously, he's not up to date with Cad with uh, with Boba Fett, right? Yeah, like I said, the like I said, the 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 version he dealt with was a much younger uh, Boba, um, and obviously, this is a long time since their their last meeting, probably, unless that ends up coming up somewhere in a in a comic or a book somewhere where they've met again or whatever the case may be. Regardless, uh, ends up being a showdown between um, uh, Cobb and Cad Bane and that stupid deputy. Who, which ends up uh, going probably, if you know anything about Cad Bane, the way you think it does. Except for the fact that he doesn't... Somebody ends up dead and someone ends up pretty wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we can go ahead and spoil it. Like, Cobb gets... Got to, to, Cobb, Cobb takes one in the shoulder. That deputy pretty much gets perpetrated. <laughs> As, and, um, which was probably deserved. Um, yeah. You know... And Cad Bane just turns around and, and leaves. Um, and while the town folk kind of tend to cat call. I don't, the, the only thing, I, the funny part about that, that that scene was like, we saw people running towards Cobb. I don't think we've seen anybody running towards the deputy. I, think I mean, they I knew that was, was a lost cause at that right. point. Right. Like, I was, exactly. Like, he, he had been, he'd been, he'd been perforated. And I was like, well, you know. <laughs> Like get this man a stem, you know, you know, to to Cobb and whatnot, uh, who was just kind of laying there. But like I said, if you saw the shot, like people are saying that Cobb might be dead, and I don't think so because he got he took it in the shoulder. You could like you could see where the where the shot was taken, so mm-hmm. he probably won't be able to draw again. But I mean, not draw, but he probably won't be able to shoot, you know, easily again. But he's not dead right. unless at least at least anytime soon, right? So. Presumably, because if a shot in the arm to where he got shot, which is which is also slightly kind of surprising for Cad Bane, because normally Cad Bane usually shoots to kill. So, right. um, well, I think I think at the end of the day, the shot was just slightly awry, and then he went after the um, the, the 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 deputy who was just being idiotic, and he just dedicated uh, several shots to yes. the deputy who just did not go down right away. <laughs> right. And let's be honest, the, if it was the deputy's fault anyway, because you could see Cobb just kind of looking, just kind of oh, kind of got distracted by trying to see if the deputy was going to do something stupid. And he did. And it went off the way it did. Of um, course, of course. Anyway. So before, so, I'll, I was about to say, I'll let Roddy Cat take the finale of the episode so i'll just jump in and say that we do have a a, a cutscene where we run into the pikes back at the sanctuary oh. bar where um uh oh what is that character's name uh, uh, Je- uh jennifer beale's character garza 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 Fwip. Fwip. yeah 
Right. Yeah, because it sounds so much like FWIP, you know, the Spidey uh, yeah. web shooting sound, right? So Garza FWIP, uh, you know, we run into her and, and, and her uh, employees at the bar, and the pikes go in, and unfortunately it is a very um, cliche scene that we've seen in many a gangster movie. Yeah. And we're not sure what is going to, you know, what happens once the pikes basically set off a bomb leave a bomb in uh, the the sanctuary bar, and we don't know what happens to Garza Fwip at that point. And I will leave the, the, the finale, the juicy finale of this episode to Roddy Cat. I don't know. That feels pretty definite. Unless she, she scattered out there real fast, but yeah, no, I think she, she, she we might not see her again. What, right. wh- who we probably will see again, though, and I've, I've seen people making note of this, and I did too. Max Rebo was nowhere to be found in that uh, in that uh, in that scene, so mm. he may have lived to, to see another day. We're just saying, right? His his uh, his bandmates, the people he was playing with, not so much, but. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so yeah, so then we cut back after that happens. We cut back to um, the planet where where Lucas. I can't remember the name of it. I heard it, but I don't remember. Regardless, but where Luke and where Luke and Gogo were. Um, I believe this is where. I think we might have missed that part, or or this was when the part. But um, no, there was a part because there was a part that we didn't talk about earlier in the fact that uh, Luke and Ahsoka, which this was cool for me to see. Because this is their first interaction together ever, and obviously we know Ahsoka as she says here. Which this part was kind of was kind of sad but happy because she was like because Luke was kind of doubting um, his his training of uh, his being able to train Grogu, and and Ahsoka's like just like your father, like he's just like you're just like your father. And I was like that was a happy moment. Then I was like, whoa, wait, you know what happened to her dad? His dad though. <laughs> right. like, oof. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, that's a very complicated statement to, uh, you know, to digest and pull apart. Right. So, um, but she kind of, I guess she was trying to say it as a positive. Because, like, uh, oh, yeah, and then she, I think she even, I think she introduced herself earlier as a friend of the family. Uh, right. Uh, to, to, uh, to, to Mandalorian, which was, again, yeah, I was like, yeah, that's. That's kind of an understatement, but sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but nevertheless, like I said, her and uh, Luke end up talking at one point, and, and then she leaves, uh, and but not before saying uh, Luke, not before Luke asking like, "Were we seeing together?" She's, perhaps, which probably means uh, her show uh, when that when that comes up. So, and then she leaves, and then like I said, cut to everything that just happened then, and now we cut back to um, Luke training Grogu again, and and like presumably inside the temple. And Grogu is presented a choice. Who and this part I love this part so much, and 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 um, uh, eight to seventy knows why. So Luke pretty much presents Grogu with two options. He takes um, he takes the little package from the man, from Mando that uh, Ahsoka gave him, opens it up, presents the little Mithril Beskar shirt, uh, lays it down, and also. Has somehow has Yoda's lightsaber, and he's basically right. saying, that was a little. That was just a little bit that took me out of the episode for a couple of seconds. Like, right. what? How does he get that? Okay, fine. Well, so I saw something that said like maybe, and I think it this did come to come up in a comic though that Yoda recreated his lightsaber, but I don't remember it. So, mm. so because as we I think we saw in um, Revenge of the Sith, he lost it because of uh, right. his fight with um, his fight with Palpatine. 
But yeah, that's like that kind of messed with me for a second. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess he could because it makes sense that he could have re- recreated it. He would know how. So regardless, um, he basically made the choice of choose the sword or choose the ball from like uh, straight up lone wolf and cubs uh, shogun assassin. And then right. like, the in- it's literally recreating, you know, shots that were taken from the manga and put into the movies. Mm-hmm. And it's very much, you know, you can see the, the the strong influence that this particular story had on the creation of the Mandalorian. Right. So so and that's where the show ends, because we see we cut to Grogu's face, who's kind of, you know, kind of making the decision. And then the, the show goes off. Um, I'm, I'm, we don't, we don't see the choice, obviously. I mean, we don't see him making the choice, but we'll probably either see that next, um, next episode or maybe, you know, they'll, they'll hold it to Mandalorian season three. Uh, who's to say at this point, probably more likely we'll see it next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, since this seems to be the path they're going down with this, but, uh, yeah, but we don't see it now. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? He should choose just to force, force both of them into his hands. It's like, I'm taking both. <laughs> That's what I would want to see. And as right. people have pointed out, and as, as it was brought up last episode, there's been a Mandalorian, um, uh, Jedi before. In fact, that's how we got the dark. Well, oh, that's how we got dark. Exactly. Exactly. So how we get the dark saber. So it's not unheard of. So right. it's very much, uh, uh, a nice little cliffhanger as the penultimate episode of the series. Right. Now, granted, I don't know if Luke probably doesn't know that. And I don't think, I don't know if Ahsoka knows that or knew that part. Although she would have known that, you know, because she's been around some Mandalorians possibly. I mean, well, if we know she's been around some Mandalorians, but possibly you would have known that because of her time around Mandalorians, but we don't know that. that oh, you mean about the, about the dark saber? Right. Cause you I got, mean, she, at the end of the day, that that's the, a lot of that stuff might've been in the archives. You know, she's the last Jedi that had any sort of access to the archives. Right. But she that, also had you know, firsthand. That's still around. True. You know what I mean? She also had firsthand uh, experience with Mandalorians also. Right. And the dark no, no, of course. Of course. But in terms of like the history history. Right. You know? So. Because, uh, because Luke doesn't have any access to that stuff. He has books, but those yeah. books may not have that particular set of information. Right. Yeah. And maybe, and, and probably the one or two holocrons, which you would have probably had at this point. Probably doesn't, mm-hmm. well, which he does have at this point. Now that I think about it, um, probably wouldn't have that either, right? So, so regardless, it seems, yeah. But you know, the point being that it makes sense that the Ahsoka would be the one who would have that information of anyone, right? Exactly. Um, so that being said, like I said, we're we're I am looking forward to the next uh, and final episode of Book of Book of Boba Fett. And as we were talking before the show. Like, yeah, they're going to have to... We know it's probably going to be one big action piece with the whole Pike thing on Tatooine, because mm-hmm. that's, that's clearly the way this has to go. Whether it brings up Grogu's choice um, or anything else uh, kind of leading into Mandalorian Season 3, we don't know. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that last episode, and they're going to have probably several plot lines to keep going you know to, to to have to extend or or tie up before we get into the next piece of uh star wars disney plus television mm-hmm. 
We're probably not going to see a Cobb Vance show. So, <laughs> uh, based off of that. So, I'm, I think it's pretty safe to say that's the case. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was a great episode, just like last week's. And and I know there's been the, a, a lot of talk about it's like, yeah, these are the better episodes and that don't have Boba Fett in them or not much of Boba Fett in them. So, um, it is what it is on on that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess unless you got something else you you want to say, no. Patson, then we'll no, move no, on. no, I'm good. We can move on. Okay. Then we'll move on to a really quick um, talk about Peaceman. We're not going to recap recap peacemaker but we'll just talk kind of talk about peacemaker uh episode six briefly right well i'll still yeah i'll still ring the spoiler bell so if you're not interested in listening to anything about peacemaker episode six because actually in peacemaker we still have two more episodes after this unlike uh the one remaining episode in book of boba fett so spoilers likely incoming for peacemaker episode six incoming in three two one right so, at, the only I'll, I'll say at the beginning of this, the, the, in the recap is like the, at the end of uh, the of the last episode, we see Myrn um, confronting Leota outside because she found out that he was a butterfly, um, which I feel like the, the the signs were there at some point, but this is a confirmation of it. Uh, but it doesn't end the way you it seemed like it would have in that anything happened to her, um, and kind of find out he's one of the good ones quote-unquote i guess right right this is the first of several big twists in this episode right so we found out that confirmation is a butterfly uh hardcourt knows and so does economist so basically the mo- the majority of the team knows this with the exception of like i said economist knows except for he like actually puts his fingers in his ears when it right comes up. exactly yeah ex- <laughs> the the, the the tip that we give everyone to avoid spoilers on uh, on when listening to this episode by putting your fingers in your ears and saying la 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 that is exactly what uh, 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 Die Beard uh, <laughs> does when they talk about Mern being a butterfly exactly so the rest of the episode is basically them still keeping the, the that information away from Peacemaker for some reason uh, and um, culmination of some other stuff that has happened in the series uh his dad gets out of jail and decides he wants to kill his son um uh the diary that leota planet still ends up getting um getting used uh uh the police go after peacemaker uh the the butterfly the peacemaker uh has had head uh in a jar escapes and inhabits uh the the police detective one of the police detectives that we have come to to, to know which as we said right. before the show was kind of sad because i hated to see that happen to her but then yes, later this on is the, show, the t- yeah it happens to detective uh song. sophie song mm-hmm. the asian character which i was kind of like oh come on yeah but later on in the episode uh the rest of the police department and people that had <laughs> in lockup also get the butterfly treatment uh, right. Thanks. To this. I was about to say we 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 skipped a whole bunch there, but well, yeah, uh, but yeah. but but ultimately, what Roddy Cat is mentioning is that um, the uh, the head of the uh, of the uh, the butterfly, or at least this part of the butterfly invasion, is the uh, the former alien that was inhabiting the senator, right. and it's that alien that Peacemaker was keeping alive, and it's that alien that in, that takes over Detective Song's character. So. Right. Um, what ends up happening is that Detective Song's now uh, alien character calls in reinforcements. Right. 
and, and they those reinforcements, reinforcements that take over everybody in the police yes, station, including including um, uh, a dude that Mern was working with to kind of keep some stuff on the hush hush in within the police department. But he also right. gets taken taken uh, taken over by this. Um, I think there are other things. Like I said, people are still withholding information on uh, uh, to uh, Peacemaker, and in the end of the episode, we find out that. Um, that um, the the the, uh, the newly butterfly police are going after uh, Peacemaker, and that diary kind of comes up there, which Leo plans it. Um, that was a quest of it. Like I can't remember uh, much else uh, of the episode though. But yeah, it was like as uh, as Leo said at, at the beginning of oh yeah, and there was a cow that they mentioned, but it doesn't show up. But um, as Leo said, this is getting goofy. <laughs> I mean, it already was. But this show was already uh, kind of on that point. But I, I love that the fact that it was like they, they acknowledged how goofy right. the show is. Roddy Cat keeps calling her by her first name. And I'm like, who's Leo? Oh, out of, out of bio. bio. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like I said, the, the, it's, a, it's a fun show. I still don't really care about the camera character all that much. Oh yeah, that was that no, one. No, we're with not the... supposed to care about the characters all that much. We're just well, supposed no, no, no. to kind His of character. see the characters yeah. evolve, and you know, we're, we're obviously starting to see the uh, the you know, I, you know, the the whole point of this show has 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 more obviously become a redemption arc for Peacemaker yeah. from well, what we saw of I'm the character about. in the Suicide Squad movie. Notice I've stressed the mm-hmm. uh, to to differentiate the two Suicide Squad movies, well but uh, you know at the end of the day, I don't think we're supposed to care that much about these characters. But it's interesting to see how they interact with each other. Right. Well, no, it's Peacemaker's character is what I'm talking about that I don't care about. The rest oh, of yeah. Them, you know, you know. Yeah, because I could, I you know, I could, I, I I'd love to punt the uh, the the version of uh, Vigilante that they uh, give us here. Yeah, he's also kind of annoying. But he serves right. But he serves a purpose, and we right. have to understand and acknowledge that. Yeah, so exactly. that's the purpose that he's been given, even though it's so far from any characterization of vigilante we've had ever. Right. So yeah, yeah. And it, like I said, the whole show is ridiculous, uh, one way or the other. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right. So that being said, we can move on to the comic books of the week. Um. All righty. I'll play a transition. And we start off with... Oh, that's right. That's the reason why I pulled this up. We can start off with Amazing Spider-Man number 88. All righty. The creative team on Amazing Spider-Man number 88. Uh, This book is written by Zeb Wells with art by Michael Dowling. Colors by Brian Valenza and letters by our favorite Python over at VC, Joe Caramagna. So we follow up basically from the uh, the events of last issue and we find um, Maxine Danger trying to come up with a way to recover from some of the things that Ben Riley and Janine have been doing over the last several issues and she's coming up with a plan and she seems to have one. Uh, once we finish up with that opening uh, montage of what her morning is like. Right. 
it's all very much it's all you know what's funny it, it all very much reminds me of and i think it's a take on the elizabeth holmes uh daily planner stuff that came out during her trial okay from the theranote the theranos lady oh yeah okay 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 yes yes yes, yes. Do you know what i'm talking about i think i do yes 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 yeah. uh yeah I didn't, I didn't even think about that but you're right yeah but um and we also come to find out so this was i was kind of wondering about this so we end up finding out that beyond has uh a couple of different divisions uh maxine danger is a part of one side of it and the accessor uh, the assessor is a part of another so basically we find out the assessor is working with beyond which makes the whole miles tie-in thing more make more sense because I wasn't right. really understanding where that tie was, and now thanks to this confirming it, I guess we've kind of find out that basically it's like Maxine Danger is working on the superhero uh, side of Beyond, and the accessors making villains. Although Maxine, kind of being a villain herself, is also capable of doing that, as we see in this uh, right. issue. As, especially if you're if you're watching the video version, you can see the cover. Because we see right. a, it's a interesting because right and and just as a quick note and I'll let Radikat continue, as a quick note it's interesting that Beyond thanks to that revelation has been active in the Marvel six one six proper, even longer than we thought because right. that assessor storyline happened a while ago. Mm-hmm. It happened after Infinite uh, after the uh, the whole um, uh, revelation of of what happened to the Infinity Stone slash gems right. And actually, I think it and, goes it goes even further than that, though. I'm sorry. You finish, what was you no, 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 no. I was about to say because you know, uh, at the end of the day, uh, our our previous interaction with the Beyond Corp was in Next Wave, but right. this kind of retcons the Beyond Corporation in the six one six proper mm-hmm. in our present in the present present day part of the timeline. That's right. probably the best way to put it. The yeah. present day part of the timeline um, has. The, has beyond being active earlier than we thought, right? And, and being the, around in the Spidey lives, in the in the in the lives of various Spider Men earlier than we thought. Well, I'm like that. It goes beyond that because she, Maxine Dane just tells a story of um, was it was it Siege? Uh, was it Secret Invasion or Siege? I believe what it was basically saying yeah, Siege. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a it, they're kind of tangential to an event that happens in Siege, right? Like, so because of something that happens in Siege is why Beyond is in the business that they're in there now doing what they're doing with the superheroes and the, and the villains on the other side, kind of playing both sides, uh, almost like an anti-damage um, control, but also a little bit of Roxxon, mm-hmm. in a way, because of their dealings in bo- on both sides of it. Um, so... So yeah, so from that story we get to the fact that this is why they're doing what they what they're right. doing, and this is why this is right. coming up with Ben and and the Spider Queen, and, I mean like Goblin Queen, and pretty much and and Miles and Accessor and all that kind of good messes coming up right. uh, during. It's that. kind of a plot. Yeah, it's kind of a plot that we've seen in other media and other comics, and even in My Hero Academia season four. Which I have not seen yet, so I don't... Exactly, that's exactly why I put it that way, because I didn't want to spoil Roddy Cat, because he's probably going to get to that uh, at some point. At some point, yes. Um, but outside of that, so we, the, the 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 other side of this issue is that uh, Maxine releases the Goblin Queen, who goes after um, uh, Janine, who is... At no, the no, well, hold on. What we do, what we find out, thanks to this reveal, is what that red goo was. The red oh, goo yes, in the yes, jar. Yes. yes, yes, that's correct. We were wondering about that. We didn't know about that. 
over Which... the last couple of issues. And that's that's essentially what uh, gets released is, and this is a, a spoiler, but it's actually tying into uh, Spencer's run. Right. Which was kind of weird because it's, it's actually two things. Because there was that one thing, it was that thing that uh, I think, I presumed it was that one part of one that one thing that Misty and Colleen went after also. But I don't think that's the case. But it's definitely uh, from Spencer's run. And I'm sitting here like, how did that even happen? Right. Because <laughs> I was like, because, so, I'm not even going to go into it. But basically something happens and, and apparently... Um, we are, yeah. Folks, it's, it's all it's Goblin all related and, to Norman Osborn and exactly. what happens to him during uh, the uh, the latter half of Spencer's run. Right. So that's it, that's the part where I was like, oh, so that's where all that went. One right. and two, you know, it's all the Sin Eater stuff. Right. And I'm sitting here like, how? But right. it, but then I was like, right, no, I'm just gonna let that go. It's comics, comics. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're just gonna keep reading. Mm-hmm. So nevertheless, comic, uh, the Goblin Queen goes after Janine and uh, Mary Jane by proxy. Who uh, Janine has the disc, taking it to Mary Jane, who took it to the, the to the take it to the, the bugle. I almost said the Daily Planet, the bugle to try to basically so they can expose Beyond. Um, right to glory to glory grant. Yes. You know, talk about alliteration. You know, <laughs> to the extreme. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the Goblin Queen attacks uh, her and. Spidey get into a fight, which apparently she knows Ben because she even calls him by name, even in in the suit. Right, so, but I think I think what what the the the, the reveal is, and I think what's going to be revealed in the next issue, and I put it, I put two and two together from the previous issue. Okay, and here's a big, here's a mild spoiler because I think I'm right on this, but I think that's Doctor Kafka, the clone. Yes, I I am with you on that. Hmm. That's why that's why uh, Ben Riley isn't known to this uh, version or this this Queen Goblin character, right? Because at first I was like, "Wait, is this a clone of Janine?" Because it's always about clones. But then something she said, like you said, or something came up in that whole that whole exchange was like, "Okay, that's Kafka. You're right." So I'm I I am with you on that assessment. Um, but that being the case, it doesn't matter because um, the disc gets destroyed, and Ben and and Janine scatter, leaving Mary Jane with the Goblin Queen. With the Queen Goblin at the mm-hmm. at the plant at the at the Daily Bugle. Why do I want to say the Daily Planet? Um, and that's where the story. So ba- basically, Ben does a Ben thing, <laughs> right? Exactly. He's looking out for self, not exactly being a hero at this point in time. It's interesting that uh, Ben Riley's reaction to the destruction of the hard drive is right. is, is is nil to non-existent, which leads us all to believe he's got a backup somewhere. Which would probably be the smartest thing. Yeah, and I thought about that. I was like, yeah, it's probably the smartest thing he's done with that, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we'll find out next issue, which I can't believe we're still reading this. <laughs> Either one of us is still reading this. <laughs> it's because, and I told and I told Roddy Cat this, they would find a way to keep us uh, 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 anti, or at least non-Ben fans, non-Ben Riley fans, reading this just to see... You know how uh, Peter Parker regains the uh, the identity. So, and that's exactly what's happening because now we are in February. We're in early February, and uh, at some point in March, they're going to relaunch Amazing with a new number one with Peter Parker at the helm. Correct. And and Ben's book has started, which neither one of us has read. So, (laughs) shuffle them off all they want. All right. Next up. 
um, now that we've got that out of the way, uh, is the big book of the what arguably the not even arguably the big book of the week, but probably the big book of the week in Fantastic Four Reckoning War Alpha number one, which I forgot to put that in my notes. Um, all right, and while you're doing that, I will give the creative team this book is written by Dan Slott and actually, uh, comes from a, uh, an idea by Dan Slott that stretches back many, many moons, yes, many years, many rotations of the sun, of, of the earth around the sun, that is. Yes. And uh, art is by Carlos Pacheco and Rafael Fonteriz. Is that right? Fonteriz? That's all And right. Carlos Magno. Colors are by Guru EFX. And letters are by our favorite Paisan, VCs Joe Caramagna. So, real quick, do you, and I know this is a side note because it's probably going to come up slightly later, but I might as well bring it up now. Is Carla Pacheco and Carlos related? I, know I like don't it. believe so. Okay. I've thought, I've, I've, I think I Googled that a long time ago. We can Google it now, but I'm pretty sure, sure they're not related. Okay. But regardless, like I said, that's, that's, that's a, that was a side note I was thinking of when I was reading uh, Spider Woman, but like I said, I'll get to right. that later. Right. Anyway. I only mentioned this. I, I, I mean, I think Google confirmed it, but I, I've met Carlos Pacheco once in the past to get him to uh, to sign some books. I met him at a con, right. and he is very, very much a national of Spain. Gotcha. And I don't think Carlos Pacheco is is that. Sure. Okay. Nevertheless. Uh, so, yeah, Fantastic Four Reckoning War Alpha uh, is sets up, a, sets up a lot. So, um, and not to go through the whole thing, but basically we... I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm gonna, and I'll let um um Agent Seventy kind of take the take the bulk of this. But basically, here's the what what I'm thinking about it. It's basically uh, Watcher Armor Wars. That's definitely one way to look at it. Uh, but it was something that Slot, Slot has set up going back uh, to his the second volume of his run on She Hulk, apparently, which we couldn't find out in um uh, or at least I kind of come to confirm. In uh, in a little bit of research for this, which I said I think last week or last time we talked about She-Hulk or or even whatever, um, or Fantastic Four was like I knew for, there was some reason why I wanted to go back and read the the She-Hulk books, not just because of the the show that's coming out, but uh, Dan Slott's uh, She-Hulk books. Uh, but apparently, this is also a reason because uh, yeah, because that tidbit of information kind of comes up in here and a couple of and even a couple of characters well at least give me one particular character but two characters kind of come up uh that deal with the tva that one of which comes from uh slots run and the other comes from thor uh, apparently um right is, that's a uh, you know what law. i totally forgot about the tva showing up in this that was mm-hmm. there, there's a lot there's just a lot in it's this. a lot yeah and we're, we're not going to go beat yeah, no, we're not going to go because beat. there's just too much to it. Yeah. And, you know, very in very, very broad strokes, the, the, the assessment that Roddicat gave it, if you're familiar with the original concept of Armor Wars, still bears, you know, uh, it, it still rings true mm-hmm. because the, the gist of this is that something happened prior to the Watchers taking their oath of non-interference right and we get that right? at the end of this right and we get that we get that description but what ends up uh, what ends up uh, pro, uh moving things forward is uh 
you know, and this is a a, a, a a pretty big spoiler, even though we know things like this happen all the time. I'm going to ring the spoiler bell. But basically, the Badoon, at the behest of the characters who are at the source of this uh, crossover, take out the entire moon. Not just they, the blue side, the they, entire moon. The entire moon of Earth. They did a piccolo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They definitely listen. You know, you know, all the all the, uh, the 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 problems of nature and physics aside. Right. Right. And I love how Reed actually kind of brushes it off. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's plenty of planets that don't survive. Yeah. with. I'm like tides, you know. Right. You know, Chinese New Year, you know, Lunar New Year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you and, know, and, Gong Si Fatai, Gong Si Choi, and, and all the other ways of saying Happy Lunar New Year. Because I know, because we all know that it's not just the Chinese thing. Uh, Koreans celebrate it. Correct. The Vietnamese people celebrate it, and, all, and, and throughout Asia. So, Happy New Year, uh, uh, continued health, wealth, and prosperity to, and increased health, wealth, and prosperity to everyone out there listening and watching. Indeed. So, Normally yeah, so, we would do this either at the beginning or the end, right. but it's funny that we're literally talking about the destruction of the moon and it came up. And it probably would have come up in when another in another book we would have we would talk about anyway. But uh yes. So it was good that we got that out there regardless. So yeah, but so basically the the moon gets up blown up and it's all hands and re kind of co ops the Avengers uh battle cry with you know, with uh for the Fantastic Four Avengers and the X Men. Right. All, all, all the all around. the New York and it's in, and it's and it's convenient that there are now X Men who are based in New York. Right. And you know it's it's funny that they would in fact you know and obviously uh, this this particular arc in the story is centered upon New York. So we have the X Men contingent. I uh, was part of the X Men contingent that's in New York assembling right. with the uh, the FF and the Avengers. Although there was so one little one little note uh, in that when they all kind of. Um, come together, and Spider Man's there is also because because you know he's he's there and he saves somebody. Yeah, stupid Ben Riley. Wait, was that Ben or was that? Yeah, yes, I guess that was ben. ben. It is Ben Riley. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about that. Um, um, and She Hulk's there, and and Jack of Hearts is there, which we know comes. So clearly, this is after or some either in the middle or after uh the the events of the miniseries that's that's going on now. Um. Uh, but regardless, like I said, all, it was pretty much all hands. And there's one little thing I bumped on because after Reed kind of sounds the battle cry and uh, they're, and they're kind of talking things, uh, talking while they're saving folks. Um, if in one panel it looks like Iron Man is talking about, uh, well, we X Men, you know, have people around the world. I don't know if you noticed that, and I think that's supposed to be Sunfire who is who is there, but. But it, if you look at the the character, the character it's it's Iron Man. Or the drawing, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I was like, I, yeah, I was yeah. like, wait, that's like Iron Man's an X Man now. When did that happen? But I know what that's. I think that what that's supposed to be. Right, that was just that a little a, flub. Right. So I was like, huh, that's, that's weird. a little flub in that. Pa- I, did, I I didn't even bump on it because of the way that they depict it, that the the way that they depict sunfire but then uh because of the blue energy that's more iron man well so. not on that in the little pods that that's on the side of them which i don't think a sunfire had you know so right. that's why it was making me think about that but regardless like i said we um um like i said not to belabor it too much long but like because there's a whole lot going on like I said, the, uh, there's a whole big thing with um 
the 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 reckoning war, which like I said, slots had in, apparently in his pocket since two thousand five, um, um, the uh, two thousand five uh, She Hulk story, um, uh, kind of is now laid bare, and uh, we come to find out that uh, the the FF rocket off in space because it was like, well, we know where this where, where these weapons are coming from because it's not from the Badoon. Uh, they go to the. They try to go to the moon, which has been blown up, and they meet up with OG Nick Fury, who is a herald. Uh, I don't know if he's still being called the Unseen at this point, because um, because he's pretty much looks like a <laughs> he almost looks like a Hydra. Um, he looks like Baron Baron Strucker with the eye patch. And right, the well, except hair. exactly, except with the 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 what you call it, except with the eye patch. I think the eye patch is on the other side. It's on the of, left. Uh, Baron Von yeah. Baron Von Strucker. I think sure, but yeah, I, I can't remember. remember. Yeah, I don't either. But like, but, but like Roddy Cat said, he does actually look like Von Strucker because he has no hair. Right. So, so the FF find that that Nick Fury is pretty much back in the fold. Uh, uh, who was taking shots, taking pot shots at the FF, and they, I guess he says that. Well, he basically says that, hey, yeah, the Watcher, the Watcher knew what the deal was, and he was going to blow the whistle on and tell his people, and they were going to get involved, and this is, and this would be the one time they get involved because of what happened because of. Because of this happening, and this is where the armor wars kind of thing kind of comes in with the the weapons that the Badoon was using, and Nick Fury kind of says that. Well, it kind of makes it like Watcher's dead again, but we I doubt that very seriously because I don't think they would bring him back just to kind of kill him off off, off screen like that. Uh, but basically, uh, Reed ends up getting um, a bump up in knowledge. Mm-hmm. At the end of this, because of uh, because of the thing that the Watcher had to uh, to tell his people uh, about the events of what he found out, um, so which I think I don't know if this is taking place before or after recent events of our Iron Man, but <laughs> it, it kind of doesn't matter. But I just I just thought about that. I was like, because even in that last panel, Reed's like, I know everything. Right, 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 right. That's funny. Yeah, but regardless, so, so this is kind of getting us into what happens next in the uh, in probably Fantastic Four. I think is probably the next book. I'm not sure what the next. Yeah, book is. the next issue, right? The, uh, uh, the 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 note at the end of the issue. The next up is in Fantastic Four number forty. So right. that is the next chapter of this Reckoning War crossover. Right. I thought uh, I just just as of note, uh, we want to mention that the alien race that. Uh, and actually, there's there's some hints here of of some of the storylines that's in uh, st- some of the storylines that was in storylines that were in the Eternals movie. Um, mm. You know, just a, just a couple of hints here and there right. that were explored in the Eternals movie. I also wanted to mention that the alien race that's referenced here as being the uh, the behind the reckoning mm-hmm. are. Are, are are not this is not their first appearance in the Marvel universe this actually goes back to uh issues of uh one of the earlier runs of the Silver Surfer and even before that going into two issues of Journey into Mystery oh, so right. we're going way back to the beginning of the Marvel universe uh for you know that the Dan Slott has kind of been mining this that uh, uh the 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 depths of the uh, the archives of mm. the uh, Marvel universe to come up with the story, right. so it's not a surprise. Slot is one of the one of the more one of the writers that's definitely uh, steeped in Marvel history and lore. Right, as we've said before, before uh, uh, Slot is definitely down for the for the long long con. And, and like I said, this is 
some of the stuff he's using, his stuff he's set up from years ago. I don't know if he even knew whether he was going to even get back to it. Because uh, mm-hmm. who, who knew at the point where he was writing some of the stuff that he was ever going to get to write Fantastic Four? Right. You know? And there's some interesting cameos in this uh, in this issue, too, because we get... Um, we get not we we get a tease of a group of new warriors. Yes, we get the TVA of all people, mm-hmm. and we get uh you know as as Roddy Cat mentioned, we get Jack of Hearts who has reappeared over in the pages of the new She Hulk uh, uh, uh series. Mm-hmm. And in fact, so like like uh like Age Seven said, it was, uh, Slot was mining a lot of stuff, including stuff from his own books. Because like like I mentioned earlier, his She Hulk run from from two thousand five is as a direct reference, uh, especially with the character the, the the TVA characters that come up, or at least one of the TVA characters that shows up. Um, his uh, Silver Surfer run because the Silver Surfer shows up, uh, and right. uh, and a couple of characters from from that run uh, shows up in in also. And um, what am I missing? Something else. Oh, Doctor Doom also shows up, and he's gonna also have a hand in it. And he's kind of goes off and does his thing as uh, as Victorious is uh, defending Latveria because he he figures out the same thing that pretty much reading them does. That you know, it's like, well, we know where this has come from, and so he's clearly going to um, get in, get himself involved. Definitely. So yeah, like I, said, I mean, Doom lot. has not been right. Doom has not been. Uh, a, a, a stranger to slots run in True. Fantastic Four, so it's no surprise that Doom would be actively involved in something like this. True. So now he is basically saving the world in 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 Fantastic, or helping save the world in Fantastic Four and possibly Iron Man. <laughs> right. Um, if you're keeping if you're keeping score, but yeah, like I said, this is, is a whole lot that happens in this issue, and I'm. Still, kind of looking forward to um, to uh, the goings on of this reckoning war thing. Oh, I'm, I actually just pulled up mm-hmm. the I, I pulled up issue number three of the She Hulk Dan Slot series yeah. that's referenced here, and it immediately, you know, just a couple of flips through the pages shows you that the TVA is involved. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. So you know, like 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 Roddy Cat said, uh, Slot is definitely mining a lot of his own work here. But you know, uh, but but it's all based in, uh, very deeply in Marvel lore, right? So, and if you're if you're if you're playing along with us and reading this, and you and if you're curious about this, in my notes, I do have links to a, a character that. Well, one of the TVA characters that uh, Slot created in that She-Hulk run, and a link to the the wiki uh, of that particular article that um, or the t- t- particular issue that um, Eight to Seventy is talking about. So, and you can find it on Marvel Unlimited. Not a plug, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't we're not getting any money from Marvel or anybody from that. But I'm just saying, it's a good resource. Definitely. Uh, that being said, I don't know if we got anything else to uh, talk about on this one. Cause like that, it was, no, it was, I think it was, we can move on. Yeah, it's a big joint. Um, watch your armor wars. Who figure? Mm. Um, but uh, moving right along, we said. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if we. I think this was it. What? For, I don't we think we did. Some, yeah, we didn't say anything after this one. Uh, hmm, let's see what you ready. Shang Chi. Sure. Okay. All righty. Shang-Chi number eight is written by Jean Luen Yang with art by D.K. Ruan. Uh, it's a, uh, we should note that this is D.K. Ruan's last 
yes. uh, issue of art on this book as we're going to get a new art team incoming. And it's, it, it, you know, there's nothing wrong. There's no missed deadlines. They're literally just transitioning art teams mm-hmm. uh, uh, as of the end of this issue. Uh, colors on this issue are by Triona Farrell and letters or Farrell and letters are by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, give me a sec and I will, unless you have your notes up and ready. Uh, yes. Go ahead. So, oh, I'm looking at your notes. <laughs> um, so basically, um, uh, Shang-Chi's grandfather, uh, attacks the, the, the five weapons. Uh, and at the beginning, we think we see a betrayal by his sister, by Shang-Chi's sister, but that was apparently a ruse that, um, that, uh, ends up, uh, coming out later on in the issue. Yeah. I was and, about to say, to quote the folks at Kim's Convenience, sneak attack. Yes. Yes. Nice. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy you're watching that. Yes. Oh, I'm so happy you're, you're watching that. <laughs> oh, sneak yes. attack. <laughs> yes. yes. This is Kim's sneak attack. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Dang, how many episodes? You know, we'll talk about that later. Um, no, like the first episode. It's, it's in, I think it's definitely in the first six episodes. Right. Okay. Or seven yeah. episodes, you get like a bunch of sneak attack yes. references. This is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yes, and the other thing that we've also referenced. But yeah. Oh, man. Y'all should watch Kim's Convenience. It's a great show. Anyway. um, uh, And then from that attack, we cut to, for some strange reason, Shang-Chi's, Shang-Chi's mom decided that this was the time to finish the story that she started last issue, which not necessarily directly mirrors the, what's uh, the MCU version, but kind of close. It's an adaptation yes. of the MCU. You know, it's kind of an adaptation of the MCU origin to try to fit, to, to refit that in and retroactively fit that in. You know, this is the definition of a retcon mm. into Shang-Chi's history here. And uh, as Ryder Cat said, it was kind of a weird thing to have uh, Sha- uh, Shang-Chi's mother continue the story. Mm. But it was important because the climax of the issue involves a twist on what we saw in the MCU. Because the uh, the parents of uh, you know basically Shang-Chi's grandfather come back with a vengeance, as 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 Roddy Cat mentioned earlier. Right, and this is and this is uh, his, which is also kind of weird because it's his mom's dad, right, who is there. So I'm surprised she didn't. Well, I guess well, and the story that she she talks about. Um, explains the the uh confrontation between uh her dad and uh, Zinzu uh uh in initially and apparently Shang-Chi had a had a slight bit of a thing to deal with that and how we see um Shang-Chi's mother get to where she was before he, he found her um and that's pretty much a quick story. Also is a weird Iron Man uh, Iron Fist uh kind of thing cuz as as Folks, some folks may may not know. Um, Iron Fist's abilities are slightly mystical in nation uh, in nature. He also has access to a gate that takes him to the dimension that where his powers get from go from. The pretty much the same thing happens here as we also saw in kind of in, in a way uh, in the Shang Chi movie, but also we you know we found out that uh, another similar uh, uh, a gate. Had uh, had existed and was used 
at some point. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's right. a, another weird Iron Fist kind of potential tie. Right, right. And it's interesting that they would use a similar mo- uh, a similar motif, a right. similar means of access. It, you know, it obviously, as Roddy Cat mentioned and, and, and makes a very strong point, that it's all very similar. And, you know, we've, we, we presume that it's for – that it's on purpose, mm-hmm. that it's not just – you know, that, that they're not just biting, that they're actually going to be – uh, using these uh, similarities as part of a, a base of a basis of a story, or or, re, or or creating some sort of basis for a story in the future, right? Right. But we do know um, it it'll probably come back up next uh, next issue uh, because of what happens at the end of this, right? Uh, and whether or not, and, and and it's likely going to have some impact on the new Iron Fist. Because yes. the new Iron Fist, at least from the the, the, the the teases that we've gotten so far, is not going to have technically the power of Shu Lao the Dragon. Right. So, but like the time will tell on that front. Uh, for now, this is what we got. And I noticed that was mentioned into the Dark Dimension, but we, as far from what, uh, or excuse me, a dark dimension, not the dark dimension, but the way it kind of sounded was like, are you basically saying that she got thrown into the dark dimension and ended up in the I negative? I thought she was thrown into the negative. She zone. Was, exactly, she was. But that's what I'm saying. But they, but could you remember in the story, it was like, I'm going to send you to the, this the dark dimension. Oh no! But they said that the, the 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 portal went haywire or something like that, and it rerouted. Right. But so yeah, I guess so. I guess potentially. She or somebody one somebody would have been thrown in. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it says it's connecting to some other dark dimension, not right. the dark dimension. Yeah. Right, and that's what I'm saying. I was like, oh, that, that was a weird. But then you know, like it's not, it's not they do they would have known that that was a thing, may or maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they would have not have known that. So, but that kind of struck me as a thing. I was like, hmm, interesting. But we, are, but yes, as you said, we knew she was thrown into the the negative zone. So, either way, yeah. that that was just something that kind of kind of kind of struck an interest of me so right it's just that it, it's an interesting way that they're choosing to adapt the elements in the movie into the uh you know from the mcu into the 616 right so that being said um yeah that's that's shang chi uh, yeah. number eight uh right and, and we've the- talked about we've talked about this in the news but uh they actually confirm it uh in the in the teaser for the next issue that Marcus Toe is moving over from Excalibur and joining the art team here on Shang-Chi next, uh, as of uh, the next issue. Right. Yeah. We talked about it like a couple of weeks ago, I think, or Mm -hmm. so, or something around that back. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely remember that we discussed it, but just as a, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's of note that it's in the issue. They actually uh, shout out the incoming art artist. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and bid for it to the to the alcohol ones. Um, right. So yeah, so I guess now we can go to rapid fire. Sure, I will spin it up. I ain't got time to breathe. Hey. All right, do you want me to go because I have fewer books? Sure, go for it. All righty. First up is Batman number one twenty. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jorge Molina and Mikhail Janin. Colors are by Tomo Mori and letters by Clayton Cowell. So we continue with uh, Bruce Wayne's adventure in Badinesia, a bad ripoff of countries in Southeast Asia. Terrible name. And 
What's that? <laughs> terrible name, but DC's got a bunch of them. Oh my gosh, DC's got terrible country names. So, uh, what we ultimately find here is that uh, you know the Batman has been uh, has had some issues as the result of a villain attack uh, from the previous issue and is left um, with just the help of a local police detective who is investigating what Batman came to Badanesia to investigate. The ultimate twist in this issue involves both Lex Luthor, who is active in this storyline uh, as the new owner of Batman Incorporated. That's a mild spoiler. And we also find out that uh, the uh, members of Batman Incorporated have possibly switched allegiances in this issue. And we, or at least as of this, you know, it's confirmed as of this issue. So there is more to that. And there's more, there, there, there will be more to that in future issues. This is definitely a kind of a palate cleansing storyline after all of the previous um, uh, uh, Tinian stuff. So, you know, we'll see how long, uh, how well this holds up. Uh, the backup story involves maps uh, from the uh, uh, Gotham Academy. The maps Maguchi? Book. Yes, Maps Maguchi. So the the story art and letters are by Carl Kershaw and colors are by Dave McCaig. So, yeah, Maps uh, Maguchi. I thought her name was a little different. Or Mizuguchi, I think it, it might is. Be, it might be Mizuguchi, something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Right. So so uh, uh, there is kind of a, a, a nice little backup story involving that character. Uh, next up is... Daredevil Woman Without Fear, number two. It is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Rafael De La Torre. Colors are by Federico Blee. And uh, letters are by VCs Clayton Cowles. So uh, we continue um, on this Devil's Reign tie-in path. And this involves the the, the quote-unquote file on Elektra being given to... uh, very uh let's say acts of vengeance vengeance style uh character that's not normally in Electra's admittedly smaller villains gallery, but it's definitely in the vein of uh acts of vengeance where um a different villain has taken on the task of taking down this particular hero. And there is some nice, there's some nice ex- exploration and expansion of the Electra mythos and the lore of her uh, origin and backstory in this issue. But at the end of the issue, it seems that uh, Electra has been uh, kind of cornered and brought back into the fold of the main Devil's Reign miniseries, or at least the concept of the main Devil's Reign miniseries. So. Um, Ultimately, it's a nice little uh, turn for Electra on the main stage. We do get a little bit more exploration of her origins uh, uh, with the hand because that's basically what uh, this file uh, contains, the information in the file. That's what uh, it pertains to. Uh, I would say that if you are interested in the hero 
the 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 heel the the baby face turn that is uh, that you know to borrow a wrestling term the baby face turn for Electra that she is undertaking in the pages of Zadarsky's run of Daredevil. If you're interested in keeping up with that, I think this is required reading because the Daredevil book has been on hiatus during the during uh, Devil's Reign. So this is probably required reading for you. Otherwise, it's probably something that you can skip if you're ju- if you're just interested in reading the main Devil's Reign uh, limited series. Next up is Sabretooth number one. I think Roddy Cat read this. Yep. It's written by Victor Lavalle or Lavalle. Uh, art is by Leonard Kirk. Colors are by Rain Barreto and letters are by VC's Corey Pettit. So essentially what we find out here is that Sabretooth has not exactly been playing nice while in the pit on Krakoa. And uh, we're not sure exactly what's happening here. It's a little trippy. It's a little on the psychedelic side. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. It sounds like Sabretooth may have made his own personal, well, not his own personal, but made his own personal hell into Krakoa's hell uh, at the same time. Because, yeah, we're not, it's, it's, it's weird because, like, we definitely presumably see that he's still trapped down there despite the fact that they say he's escaped. But, um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what to think about this because it's like, okay, so clearly he's, he's the king of his own personal hell. And, uh, and at the end of the, um, issue, we see some other people get dropped in here to which I'm thinking, also thinking like, wait, he was the only one that I know of that I remember to get dropped down here. Exactly. I'm like, what did these characters do? Yeah. And like, when did these, yeah, exactly. And when did this happen? Because, you know, um, like I said, Sabretooth was well, way back in Hoxbox when he got dropped down in here. And I know they had, um, well, oh, wait. And now that I think about it, he's actually not the only one. Because if you remember, Nanny and Orphan Maker both got dropped. Right. Which is not uh, referenced here. These right. are actually different characters. So it's a little, you know, it's. It's a little offbeat, and that 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 is part of the charm and I would guess slightly confused state that you're left in once you're reading this. Because if you're if you're into the concept, then you'll follow through. I don't know if this is exactly required reading, but at the end of the day, if you're curious to see what Sabretooth is up to, right. uh, you know, take a look at this little miniseries. And actually, and when does these people get dropped on? Here's the other thing. Because, like, maybe this is, like, something. Like, maybe this is set from when he actually, when, you know, at a time after he gets dropped. Because there's no real sense of time um, in, in this thing. So maybe it was right after he got dropped and all of this happened. And who knows? You don't know. Yeah, like, it's weird. And, yeah, we don't know if it's if anything's going to come out of this um, of significance. But it's, right. it's, a, it's out there. All right, we don't know if it's just in his mind. We just don't realize what's going on. Right. It's just very out there. Mm-hmm. All righty, next and last for me is uh, Ten Lies of Wolverine number two. It's written by Benjamin Percy with art by Joshua Kassara. Colors are by Frank Martin and letters are by VC's Corey Pettit. So this issue uh, takes us back to the time... I would say it's a mode of time travel. I think, you know, Wolverine's physical body is still on Krakoa, 
but his mind is being transported through various iterations of his life, various points of his life. Uh, obviously, Wolverine is long lived, so we're going all the way back to like uh, 1900. So, you know, we're going back well over uh, 100 years in the past here, and Wolverine at this point is still a young teenager, you know, kind of a developed teenager at this point. Um, you know, we we we, uh, we encounter various points in Wolverine's past here, but with this particular issue focuses on a mission in which Team X, uh, namely Maverick, Sabretooth, and Logan, when they were when they were uh, government operatives, uh, basically undertake a couple of black ops uh, missions. And we also run into a little bit of a flashback with um, descendants, I mean, ancestors, that is, of Professor Charles Xavier. I think that is the ultimate uh, crux of the story is that someone is going after Xavier in the past and Wolverine is there to stop it. But uh, it's not clear as of yet how all of that is going to fit together. We're still only three issues in because we've gotten the two number one issues of the kind of parallel series running together. And this is the third issue. So we're not going to see the story really congeal and come together until probably a couple more issues in, because that will put us at the rough halfway point and we'll see where we are. Have you read the infinite comic? Of this? I have not. Okay. Cause I kind of skimmed it and it looks like it was, I don't know if I didn't read, I haven't having not read the first issue of this. I don't know if it's like, the same stuff or is it like a kind of precursor to that? Uh, but it seemed to kind of set up um, the, the, what's going on in here to, to a certain extent. Cause we know Gene Gray's involved and, and going through his mind. Oh, the life of the life of Wolverine. I didn't even realize yeah. that that was there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that this, this is this, that may be a companion to this and possibly setting up this whole X lives. There's some thing. I'm not sure. Like I only skimmed it and I haven't been reading this. Got it. So that might be something for folks who are interested in, in this to also check out if you have if you um uh are on uh, Marvel Unlimited. Again, not a plug. And it might be one of the free ones. I'm not sure if it is actually. Because uh, I know they do have some free uh, Infinity Comics. Uh, Interesting. All right, and that's it for me. All right, then that means I'll do mine. Starting off with Spider Woman number nineteen. Um, pink, pink. There we go. Uh, so yeah. Um. Oh, actually, hold on for a second. That's well, I'll, I'll, I'll actually that's not the white. That's not the one. But I'll come back to it. So, Spider-Woman number 19, actually, we're going to do that. Uh, written by Carla Pacheco, art by Perry Perez, color artist Frank Darmada, uh, and letters by V.C. Travis Lanham. Um, so, basically, and I don't know if uh, if Agent 7 is going to read this or not, but um, a, as, I, as my notes say, a secret invasion staple is somehow back. We still don't know how they're back. Um in the pages of this book, but apparently they've, they've, they've been around. Um, and so, uh, this character, Queen, uh, Queen Ferenki and, uh, Jessica get into a big knockdown, drag down fight. 
over, uh, and this is also apparently a Devil's Reign tie-in, as it says at the top of the book, um, because of that. Um, and, you know, um, over trying to save, um, Jessica's trying to save her son, Jerry, uh, who apparently is kind of sort of taking care of himself in, in part of this book. Um, but all that kind of gets, kind of gets dealt with and introduces, uh, what seems to be a cadre of, um, of superhero, I mean, super villains waiting in the wings including one that has been seen in, in previous looks like one that has been see, seen in previous uh, volumes of uh Spider-Woman. Uh they call themselves the Anti-Iraq 9 which boom 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 you know. So there is that. Um but I have been joining the the the, the Spider-Woman book because especially because of some of the art and, and um some of the some of the choices in art and um uh, lettering. <laughs> so it's good to check out. Next book uh, is Savage Spider-Man number one. I have no idea why I'm reading this. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah, you're probably better off. So uh, for for those that did not know, there was a book. Uh, well, actually, let me let me go ahead and say the creative team real quick. Um, writer Joe Kelly. Uh, pencils by Gerardo Sandoval, inks by Gerardo Sandoval and um, Victor Nava, uh, colors by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by, uh, I'm assuming, VCs, Travis Lanham, which I forgot to put the VC part on here. Um, so, yeah, so this is the sequel to Nonstop Spider-Man, which was already kind of a bonkers book in itself. Uh, and at the end of that that uh, miniseries, uh, it was Zemo running around, uh, sucking people, sucking, well, not sucking, that's, that's probably a bad choice of words, but regardless, getting brain matter uh, from, with this, this drug that was taking smarts from smart people and siphoning it off somewhere else. Uh, and then there was this other group that ended up coming into the fold that, that was against Zemo. Uh, but uh, near the end of that, Spidey, I think he ended up getting stabbed or something by Zemo and interacting with said drugs and it turned him into another spider creature because that hasn't happened before in Spider-Man's life. Um, and this is the continuation of that where they, I think they got dropped on an island and uh, Zemo's kind of running from his life for, for running from uh, these other creatures or creatures and the savage Spider-Man is also running around with a lot of uh, Hulk-like tendencies. I don't know, whatever the case may be, but this this whole thing starts off bonkers. I don't know if I'm going to continue to read this thing. The Mad Thinker is in there some kind, some kind of way. Uh, it's just a whole weird-ass book. Um, and slightly jarring to read, uh, honestly. So, not jarring is in a bad way, just like, this is weird and crazy. Um, but... It's out there for, for folks who wondered uh, where the continuation of that nonstop Spider-Man uh, thing went to. Uh, let's see. Next up, Black Panther Legends number three of four, apparently. Which I need to put that on my on the notes. Uh, and the creative team is... 
Writer Tochi Onibuchi, uh, art by Fran Gallen, or Galan, uh, color artist Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, so this is kind of a retelling of uh, the, the Black Panther uh, history, and, and says might slightly be, um, might be a slight retcon of some things, but I'm not entirely sure. Or I say, as I say in my notes, a revision of events because, um, and it's front of it, it's definitely a recon. Because after the events of uh, last issue, where we see um, T'Challa's first meeting with Aurora, Aurora, aka Storm, he heads back to Wakanda to um to enter the tournament that is that determines who's going to be the Black Panther going up against his uncle. Um but he has to sneak back in because, you know, there's some people who don't want him there. Uh one of which being his uh his half brother, aka uh, Hunter, aka the White Wolf. So there's some shenanigans there. Uh because of because of the the fact of uh the uh, the, the dad's death. But as what ends up happening after uh, a slight revision, uh, T'Challa ends up winning the tournament at the end of this issue. There is a warrior that shows up here, a, a lady warrior that shows up in here who pretty much sweeps everybody she goes up against. It's almost like a, a almost like uh, a Dragon Ball tournament, <laughs> who just pretty much sweeps through everybody until she gets to T'Challa, who's in disguise, and um, and then he beats her. I, they don't necessarily give this person a name. Uh, I'm going to assume this is going to, a person who's going to end up being Adora uh, at some point. Maybe even one we know, but it doesn't doesn't seem recognizable at this point. Um, but um, even if they don't, th- that that person needs a series, and they didn't even say them. They just came in and start just just knocking folks out. So, but we'll we'll possibly maybe see who that is if they if they choose to bring that up uh, in the next issue. Uh, let's see. But it's an interesting read if you're if you are interested in uh, a little bit of back uh, story on the Black Panther. Like I said, it's kind of a maybe a slight retcon slash revision to the history. Uh, let's see. Next up, the thing number four of six. Uh, as I pull up, bing bing bing, bong bong bong. Uh, writer Walter Mosley. Yes, that writer was Mosley of Devil in a Blue Dress and AKA a bunch of other things fame. Uh, art by Tom Riley. Uh, color artist Jody Belair. That is by BC's Joe Sabino. Um, so, yeah. Um, ben calls in the Silver Surfer, basically, to deal with the champion. And somehow he and his other, and he and his then girlfriend. Um, who's this new mystery lady and this other little kid that's been along for the ride who's also a mystery end up being transported to the moon somehow and they end up fighting off a bunch of or at least Ben ends up fighting off a, a, a bunch of what seems to be an invasion uh, somehow so this this, this thing, whole thing kind of took a turn <laughs> uh, some kind of way but he gets into a fight gets real hurt badly and ends up eating a senzu bean uh uh Funnily enough, or at least, excuse me, a Sensu Cube, but then uh, ends up getting getting back into the fight. Uh, and on the other side of this, we see Alicia 
Alicia's new boyfriend, whoever she ends up with, uh, also showing his true colors at the same time at the end of this. Uh, and there was a dream that both of them had uh, that may or may not come true, but they really were dreaming of each other. Ben and Alicia was dreaming of each other, so I guess that's going to uh, be how they get back together or something. We don't know. But regardless, this is that thing, and we're kind of uh, getting to the to the end of this miniseries. Yeah, I, I skimmed this issue, mm-hmm. and you know it's comforting to know that uh, Walter Mosley is not trying to fit this into retroactively any particular era of the FF, just knowing that this is a story that has a general time in which it probably would occur. Right. So, you know, we're not trying to fit everything in, you know, he's not, he's definitely not trying to, to, to retroactively tie it into like the events of a particular set of issues. Right. And it doesn't seem like this is going to be like we've said in the past, like, yeah, sometimes they bring up some of this stuff because they're going to set up something that's going to come along in, in, in the future or to go into something else. I don't think this is one of those cases. But who knows? I, I I concur. Yeah. Uh. So next up is the official image timeline, uh, which is a one shot. We kind of talked about this uh, in the news like last week or so. Um, and there's really no. Well, actually, there probably is a. It says Jim Valentino because I think he's the one who's given the timeline of it. But I, I know there's other people involved in this outside of him. But I don't have that information, in it, and then I didn't get it from because I because I just kind of skimmed this. But basically, I will say that this is a as this name implies, as even straight up says, is the the official timeline of Image Comics, uh, not not of their books, just of the company itself. So you know, you see, well, here's when this book, you know, here's when these people got together, and here's the the meeting of these people, and here's some stuff that happened. That's um, that's um that's involved in this, in the creation or the, the, or what ends up happening to, uh, image comics, uh, and a, a bunch of comic book, you know, with a little, like a timeline on the side and a bunch of images in the middle of the book, you know, um, from, I guess around the time, um, like I said, I kind of just skimmed it. So I didn't necessarily read the whole thing, but if anyone is interested in the timeline of image, image comics and doesn't necessarily know about it and didn't see that, um, see that uh, documentary on the creation of image comics. This is probably a good, um, a, a, a good um, resource uh, to check that out. It's like the, like I think I've seen inside of this book. It was like, yeah, there's some information here that was not widely known. Like, and, it, and it's not really a, uh, from what I saw from the, uh, from the intro page, it's like, yeah, this is stuff is not like, this is not like, Hey, this is glowing about, you know, tooting our own horn about uh, image, just like this is just straight up what happened with the company and everything that happened with it, and some dealings that happened in and or around it, and the people involved with the company and the books, and you know that uh, happened to come out from it, that kind of stuff. So, like I said, it's kind of interesting. I'm uh, I'll check out the rest of it um, later on, but it's out there for for folks. Uh, next up is Star Trek: The Mirror War number four. Of eight, uh, and the writers of this are Scott and David Tipton. Art by Gavin Smith. Uh, colors by Charlie Kirchhoff, and letters by Neil Uitake. So, in the beginning, we get a holodeck sequence that's 
feels reminiscent of Driver 76, but it's Picard Driver 73. But apparently he gets ambushed by somebody trying to take him out. Excuse me, Mirror Picard. I definitely have to keep, because this is all being set in the Mirror Universe. Um, so let me just go ahead and say that right off the bat before I keep going. Um, and there's this whole plot where um, Picard and the Enterprise are trying to basically... Um, I guess take over the, the Terran Empire, or at least build up the Terran Empire from the status it is now by um, by this one big plot that he he's got cooked up with the crew, and there's some uh, sh- shenanigans and skullduggery from the crew because this is what the mirror, what happens in the mirror timeline. Um, but yeah, so mirror Jordy is dealing with some stuff. Uh, the um, Mirror Wharf kind of attacks the Enterprise, but uh, gets intercepted by uh, Ben Sisko, and the, uh, who kind of does a little strafing run that allows the Enterprise to get away, even though they're just kind of on the side, not really taking anybody's side, except for, you know, being agents of chaos at, at this point. Uh, the slingshot maneuver gets referenced and, and done, but there's no time travel involved. Uh, that gets uh, the Enterprise to where they need to be and the takeover of said place uh, that they're trying to get to, which I guess is setting up the rest of uh, what uh, what Picard's plan is uh, going to be, uh, which I guess we'll find out. What, well, we'll we'll get more on the, in the, the next issues. But basically, they took over this place that builds ships and, you know, being the Terran Empire, being... Um, on the losing side of the universe, this is going to go some way to build themselves up. Uh, specifically from with uh, Picard kind of taking, taking over, it looks like, but we'll see if that actually happens. Um, and the last book that I have, uh, star Wars crimson rain number two, uh, which I believe was labeled as number one in our things in our thing, which I um, may have to go in and change. But um, this is two of five, and the creative team is uh, writer Charles Soul, art by Stephen Cummings, uh, inks by Victor Olazaba, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, so. The couple of things that that happens in this issue is that uh, Kira basically, almost MCU style, says, "Hey, there's a big three of assassins." As as a, as in other words, this is why assassins do the things they do, uh, and she kind of breaks down what that is. Uh, but then the book kind of goes into two separate missions uh, with two separate uh, assassins. One being Ochi. Uh, Oh, um, Ochi of um, I can't remember what of whatever, and also Deathstick, um, and I'm not sure if we knew this or not, but Deathstick may be from Dathomir, which is where the, you know um, uh, uh, Mother Tazen and um, Ventress, uh, 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 Ventress is from, uh, but I don't really get too far into that, and also uh, a little bit more on uh, Kira's machinations on uh on dealing with these assassins because you know she's i don't want to say manipulator but she's kind of uh using folks you know to get what she wants because that's the kind of stuff that she's that she does and this and this book is also pretty much uh, i guess kind of sort of chron- chronicling the rise and fall of the crimson uh crimson dawn 
uh, during the course of this miniseries. So I assume at the end of this miniseries, we're, we're going to get um, uh, get um, how the Crimson Rage kind of dies out. Because obviously in the, the bigger Star Wars canon, they're not necessarily have been around in the movies. Um, um, outside of like Solo kind of bringing them up and, and a couple other places uh, of late. But um, so yeah, so that's pretty much continuing that whole story. Um, I did read one more book, but I don't have it on here. And that was that whole uh, Monkey Prince book from DC. I kind of skimmed through that. I don't know. Did you read that, uh, Agent 70? Just a quick skim, just yeah. a quick skim, because I, you know, I, I, I missed out on the previous uh, iterations or the previous uh, uh, appearances of the uh, uh, the character. So I can't, I can't say I was comfortable reading this, you know, all the way through in detail. But mm-hmm. this does, in fact, serve as a true origin, right, for the character. So wait, so this character has been in, uh, been in? I thought this was a new character. It is a new character, but he's appeared, I believe, in the. Um, I want to say in the uh, the 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 Asian History Month tribute. Ah, gotcha. And they had, and, and I, I want to go. I wanted to go back and reread that before reading this. Sure. Okay. I mean, this is obviously the origin, so you know, this is meant to be as a number one issue is meant to be something for anyone to be able to pick up and read. But I did want to go back and read uh, that first appearance again. But I did, in fact, skim this. I thought it was okay. Yeah, it was all right. I was, I was like, like I said, um, yeah, like you said, this is the origin to the character, and sadly, of course, with any new book, there has to be. Um, uh, 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 an appearance by someone of note. So Batman shows Batman and Damien actually shows up in this in this issue, right. in, uh, near the end of this, and has some tie to the origins of this character, um, as it were. But yeah, like I said, and this is, I know it's written by Gene Yu uh, Yang. Uh, I can't remember who's doing art on this because I didn't write that stuff down. Um, I want to say it's Bernard Chang. Okay. That's probably right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Bernard Chang. Actually, let me look that. I'm actually I was in the process of looking it up. Uh, pencils by Bernard Chang, inks by Bernard Chang, Chang. Uh, colors by Sebastian Ching. Yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing off of here. But I'm not getting in front of the book, so there's probably it's, it's, there's uh, some other people I'm missing. I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, so that's out there if you are if you are interested. And yeah, the Monkey Prince is if you know, if you didn't know is is a take on uh, the Monkey King and some uh, another version of that you would know as Goku, but not. Right. You know, but this is off the original Journey to the West character, um, presumably, uh, as opposed to that version mm-hmm. of them. Um, so yeah, this is basically uh, the origin in the DC. Uh, universe, yeah, and that's you're not going. You're probably not going to get a kamehameha. You're uh, definitely not going to get to yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's that. And like I said, like I just said, said, yeah, it was it was seemed all right. I don't know if I'm gonna keep up with it, but I, I was curious about it. Uh, and that, folks, is that. So, clicks of the week. Clicks of the week. Uh, we didn't get anything from our from our other host, uh, other absent host. Because uh, so, it is on. Yeah, it was kind of a weird. It's kind of a weird week. 
yeah. reading wise uh because you know as you could tell you know our conversation uh prior to this point has been dominated by uh this week's episode of uh, the mandalore i mean the book of boba fett <laughs> nice so you know there uh there's some good books out this week but yeah. definitely we've been and we remarked on this uh before the show that the last several weeks have been filled to the brim with new books and this week is a bit of a step back a bit of a uh uh, I, I guess a, a, a reload. So I'm, I'm actually just flipping through that image timeline book now. And it's interesting to see all the covers that I remember seeing on the stands and all the yeah. covers that are sitting in my collection gathering dust because they've never been reread. So, yeah, like I said, it is definitely an interesting look through if you are interested in the, uh, in, in the history of image comics. Like if you're out there reading image comics and you did not know where, where they came from or what they, or what they came from, yeah, where they've been since. Exactly. Yeah, it kind of goes through yeah. all of that. So many crossovers with DC and Marvel. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, like I said, I didn't get to actually finish that, so I don't know where it ends. I presume it ends up in the last year. Um, you know, it, there's images of the toys they've had as well, so it's mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. So, you know, it's kind of a nostalgic uh, blast from the past here and photographs of the creators. So, right. you know, I'm going to take a look at that uh, again more closely. Yeah, same. It actually makes me want to go read or go watch that um, that uh, documentary, The Image Revolution. Uh, I don't think I've ever watched that. I'm going to have to take a look for that. Is that streaming? Uh, probably, but I'm not sure where at this point. I had to look it up. Okay. Um, I want to see if Alrighty. it's on a channel or something. But yeah, but nevertheless, uh, while, while I'm looking that up, uh, you got your click? I have a couple of candidates. I would say that uh, for kind of an out there, uh, for kind of an out there storyline that 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 doesn't have its basis in, in anything modern, as it were. Uh, the Fantastic Four Reckoning War Alpha Number One was a pretty strong opening shot for that story. Um, I actually appreciated the 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 loops that uh, Jean Luen Yang jumped through in Shang Chi Number Eight to kind of tie and adapt the movie Shang Chi origin into the comic book Shang Chi origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and and believe it or not, Ten Lives of Wolverine number two wasn't that bad. Okay, you know, and 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 the Daredevil Woman Without Fear wasn't bad either this week. You know, and and Amazing Spider-Man number eighty-eight. You know, every you know what's nice about this is that there's books that have redeeming qualities, but they don't necessarily rise to easy click of the week picks. Right. You know that's our that that that's the that's the symptom. Those are the symptoms I'm having this week yeah. for choosing uh, a click of the week because uh, Amazing Spider-Man number eighty-eight. It was nice to see uh, Ben Riley show his true colors shining through. Shout out to um, uh, Cindy Lauper and uh, uh, who wrote that song originally? Was that Prince? Are you muted? Uh, probably. Yeah, I was. Probably, but I don't remember. Yeah, to the Googles. But in any event, I'm still thinking. How about you? Uh yeah, I kind of agree with what what you said. Uh, what you said with uh with the the week's content. Um, 
definitely uh, um, actually, what did I have? Uh, Shanti was definitely a, a, um, a pick. V- definitely uh, Fantastic Four Reckoning War. Um, actually, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four Reckoning War Alpha Number One because one is a lot uh, that it sets up and it's a lot that I'm very curious to see how it plays out. Uh, I am still rather curious to see how it plays out because, you know, anytime we see one of these events kind of come up, it's like, is it going to be interesting enough for us to come back to for the rest of it or for, say, another uh, another issue? Mm-hmm. This one seems kind of interesting, especially with, like I said, the, the, the amount of stuff that Slot and crew puts in here from way back. You know, there's this other song. It's like I'm. I want to see uh, how he juggles this, <laughs> and we know we know Slot can do it because he's done it before. Like he's done it in, in spite he's done it with you know with other with other books he's done. So, so as I think we talked before the show, Slot doesn't get a, a whole lot of credit and, say, and sometimes gets um, flack rated for it. Yeah, yeah, gets flack for for his handling of things. But I'm like, no, it's a, a lot of times it pays out more more than it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Correct. I was about to say correction uh, of uh, uh, what I said earlier. Uh, True Colors is is not an original. It was not a print song. I'm thinking of something else. Sure. But um, oh, go ahead. No, but but in any event, I'm just correcting myself. I had to Google that, and make sure. Uh, it's actually the one of her one of the only songs on her debut album that. Uh, was not partially written by Cindy Lauper. So yes. shout out to Cindy Lauper for being a songwriter. It's actually her second album. Right. All right. Uh, you know, I'm tempted to choose Reckoning War Alpha Number One as well because I thought it was strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to go with that because I think of, of of the group of issues that I talked about, I think that was probably the strongest. So I'm going to concur and say Fantastic Four Reckoning War Alpha Number One is also my click of the week this week. Alrighty. And there we have it, folks. Clicks of the week. Uh, catch it. And with that, we are going to move over into... That was something else I was going to say, but I totally forgot what it was, so it doesn't matter. Uh, we're going to go over into the news. But first, an ad read. Oh, yeah, but Our first an ad read. Our ad read of the night <laughs> is for Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Blue Apron. Fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron, always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through cspn.us. Do it today. And now the news. What's that? Yes, and now we get into the news. And now, before we even get, get into the news, I do remember what I was going to say. So, the Image Revolution documentary from 2013 is out there streaming 
Unfortunately, uh, well, you can rent it also uh, on the, the various places you rent the stuff. Uh, but you can stream it on the Roku channel, Tubi, Pluto TV, and VRV. Uh, but unfortunately, all with ads. So eh, You can deal with ads. We grew up with them. Yeah, this is true. This is true. But if you want to see the documentary on image, that would be the one to check out. Now then, uh, we're going to go into the cinematic news like we tend to do about this time with uh, Marvel releases a, a power, uh, not a power stone, that remind, reminds me of old uh, that old Dreamcast game. Anyway, uh, Marvel released a power stone timeline that that gives the first official guide to the cosmic artifacts Marvel Marvel's cinematic universe journey uh, and a better understanding of the Infinity Stones as a group. Uh, the new graphic outlines uh, the history of the, the Purple Power Stone, highlighting some of its most pivotal moments and changes in ownership. Uh, and, and this article kind of goes on from there with the, the chronological order. So yeah, so there's a chronological order of um, where the Infinity Stones come in, uh, uh, come in out of in the MCU. And you can check it out uh, in the article in the show notes. Or that's... Um, or, or this, you know, handy caption picture uh, that are you seeing on on screen. So there. Next up. All right. So this is a spoiler for the Eternals MCU movie. So uh, if you have not yet watched Eternals, just cover your ears. I'm going to ring the spoiler bell real quick. So despite in the Eternals movie, the Deviants' power-stealing abilities taking the Eternals by surprise, it actually came into play long before the events of the movie. So um, let's see here. In the Eternals webcomics, apparently, uh, Druig and Makari speak of a Deviant battle way back during the 11th century. That sounds familiar to the... Um, uh, 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 whatchamacallit? to uh, the, the, the power-stealing uh, events in uh, the Eternals movie. Yeah, essentially, which I didn't know about that either, so that's... Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm skimming the article, like, I don't remember this, okay. Right, yeah. So I didn't I, read the webcomic, so... Yeah, I didn't even know there was a webcomic, um, so that was... I knew there was some stuff on YouTube that they had up, but those were, like, little side story things. Uh, I don't know... Or maybe one of them, maybe this one, one of the ones they were talking about, but I don't remember. Regardless, so yeah, apparently there was some something that went took place before the events of the Eternals movie. Uh, that actually plays into the movie uh, uh, significantly, because yeah, you if you think about it for a second, like yeah, you kind of wonder how that how does events got to that point before what happens in the movie, what we kind of find out in the in the movie. Mm -hmm. And there you go. So. All right, next up. Aaron Moorhead, one half of the directing duo uh, that worked on in episodes of uh, Moon Knight, shared how the previous horror films he's worked on have in fact impacted uh, the upcoming Disney Plus series. "Quote unquote the the phone, <laughs> wait the phone isn't uh, also isn't ringing to go do two and a half men." Moorhead said, uh, "It's uh, stuff that's kind of like what we do already." Um, Archive 81 definitely shares DNA with uh, their previous films, The Endless and Resolution. You'll see the same with Moon Knight, uh, according to them. 
Uh, so the film's Moorhead reference were a pair of horror movies that exist uh, within the same cinematic universe, feature a video that uh, leads their protagonists down ominous paths. Um, and it, this kind of goes into the, those movies. So apparently, yeah, uh, this person who worked on those uh, worked on those movies is putting some of that same stuff in uh, Moon Knight uh, that we will see coming next month. Next up. All right. In some money news, as reported by, by Variety, Spider-Man No Way Home added another $11 million to its domestic total and surpassed $735 million at the North American box office. It still remains the fourth largest grossing domestic release in history and is currently $25 million away from passing Avatar $760 million for third place. No Way Home is, uh, may very well pass Avatar at the domestic box office, but still has a long way to go to uh, surpass Avatar's top spot globally at $2.8 billion. Which, you know, which is only because they re-released Avatar after Endgame uh, knocked it off its perch. So, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, Spidey done done some numbers. Uh, next up, though, um, oh, I guess we could have mentioned this when we were talking about Book of Boba Fett, but Star Wars recast Luke Skywalker actor uh, for the Book of Boba Fett. So yeah, when Luke showed up in, in the Book of Boba Fett, it was not the same um, uh, uh, CG actor that we saw at, at the end of uh, Mandalorian season two. Uh, in fact, uh, apparently, from what I've seen in other places, they use they hired some dude that did a deep fake uh, of uh, of Luke, uh, which would explain why it looks a little bit different from when when Luke showed up at the uh, as the Mandalorian in, in the Mandalorian season two. So apparently, this actor just say his name uh, Graham Hamilton. Uh, took on the role of Luke's motion capture character, motion capture character, um, along with, like I said, the deep fake technology that uh, whoever this person they hired used to to make up um, to make up the composite. So, yeah, that's why Luke looks a little bit different and probably a little, a little bit better and closer than <laughs> what he did in the in, in the, the Mandalorian season two. There you go. Next. Next up, the Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn has spoken in the past about how the third Guardians film will likely be the final movie featuring the current team in place. So it seems like uh, in an interview with Deadline, Gunn revealed that uh, Guardians 3 will be a proper send-off for both him as director and the team quote this is the end for us this is the last time people will see this team of guardians i just want to be true to the characters and i want to be true to the story and i want to give people the wrap-up that they deserve for the story gun said so this is always a little bit scary i'm doing my best he said so um it doesn't mean that we're going to never see these characters again but we don't know we'll see what happens when this movie comes out right um, also, if you was trying to be true to the character, you would have done better with Mantis. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway. <clears throat> uh, 
Uh, speaking of James Gunn, James Gunn uh, offers an update on Peacemaker Season 2 and his other Suicide Squad spinoff uh, stuff. So, yeah, uh, in a recent interview with Deadline's he, uh, Hero Nation podcast, Gunn was asked about the possibility of a second season, and he said uh, there's a good chance of that. The show, show is doing extraordinarily well, and we're excited. Uh, we're, we all like doing it. We just need to cross some T's and dot some I's, which is basically me. So, basically, this article says that it sounds like Peacemaker's story could continue into a second season. Uh, but that's not the only... But And we already know that the, the Gunn's doing a couple of other side projects uh, that this article is talking about. And it says here that Gunn said that we're working on something else now, another TV show that's connected to that universe, which I think we may have talked about another article that is also mentioned as much. Uh, but we still don't know that much about it. So... There you go. Next. All right. So in the fifth episode of DC's Peacemaker, so this is last week's episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get uh, we get the appearance of Charlie the gorilla, who uh, is among the beings possessed by a butterfly. So uh, it, Charlie the gorilla does meet its end. But uh, in the in the episode, but it is actually a re, uh, an established ape act uh, ape character in DC lore, just like Gorilla Grodd or the Ultra Humanite. So um, Charlie the Gorilla first appears on the cover of 1966's Star Spangled War Stories number 126, and uh, yeah, I mean this is tenuous at best because at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's not officially confirmed that Peacemaker's Charlie the Gorilla is a direct reference to the comic counterpart. Right. But it's a, sure. I mean, if there's a, if there's a tie, uh, I'm just more curious about where the heck these butterflies are coming from. Uh, Cause I don't think we still yet have come to find out whether there's a comic reason for it mm-hmm. for them. So yeah, like I, I know I'm look, I thought about Ultra Humanite and uh, Gorilla God also, Grodd also, but I know, but we also know that neither one of them have any beings inside of them. So, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, regardless, next up, um, <clears throat> uh, Naomi director Demaine Davis promises standoffs to come in the CW series, which I guess this is about the time that I should say yes. I have also, I have still been watching uh, Naomi, still have not read the miniseries. Uh, it is still kind of CW, and it is still more true <laughs> with this last episode uh, that 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 has come out this week. Not saying it's a bad show. Um, it, like I said, I just I, I am I just can't tie the comic connection to the. I mean, obviously we know this is a comic uh, comic character, but I mean the comic part of it to the the show, what they're taking into the show. So anyway. Uh, director and producer Demain Davis is. We're not going to go through all of that. Basically, yeah, yeah, So basically, this is an interview with Demain Davis in his career. So if you want to, if you're curious about that, but it also goes into how they got how they got some connected to the Naomi series and also going into some stuff that uh not necessarily going into but kind of hinting around some stuff that are that is uh coming up including uh potential confrontations uh uh therein 
I, I can't say that um I know there's an article that was floating around asking whether um uh uh whether this show is in the prime Arrowverse show and I'm thinking not because they have they have directly said in the show that uh this is well that well actually we don't actually I take that back um the character in the show, and this may be comic, also a comic thing, because like I hadn't read it, comes from Earth Twenty Nine. Uh, that doesn't necessarily say where the show is taking place, but just that the character came from Earth Twenty Nine in the show. Uh, and there's some things about you know there, uh, that in it. Like I said, I meant to ask Tim because I think Tim probably is the one who read it, who read that miniseries, and I should ask him about it uh, if he's watching the show. Um, but regardless, like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean whether, you know, whether the place where the show is actually taking place is the Arrowverse, but they seem to be taking it in, or at least by accounts from the show star, it's kind of not in the Arrowverse at this point. Probably will be at some point, but not at this point. We'll see. Regardless, like I said, you could check out the article to see what, uh, the director, uh, says about um, his, you know, about what's going to happen in the show, or hinting around what might be happening in the show at some point. Next up, next up, Donald Faison, who was cast as Professor Utonium in the CW's Powerpuff pilot, is about to pop over to another superhero show on the CW network. And Entertainment Weekly can exclusively reveal that the Scrubs and Clueless actor will appear in the season seven finale of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, airing March 2nd as an unnamed mystery character seeking, quote, fame, fortune and glory, unquote. While the character's name is being kept under wraps for now, the producers hope this won't be a one-off cameo and that Faison will return if the CW greenlights an eighth season. I will forever remember Donald Faison not as any of those aforementioned characters, but as running back P.D. Jones, the running back P.D. Jones. Wait, where is that from? Remember the Titans. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't that I don't think I remember that. <laughs> you don't remember he's the he, he's the running back that kept fumbling so they benched him and they put him on defense. Mm-mm. I vaguely remember remember the Titans so I don't remember I don't even know if I've actually even watched the whole way through now that I'm thinking about Sports it. Sports ball folks. Yeah, basically. Um so it the interesting part about this to me is that the whole fame fortune and stuff and I'm thinking okay, is it Booster Gold? Yeah, that's I think the implication. Yeah. So, because I can't think of anybody else that would be outside of, like, a version of Plastic Man, but that's not even then. No, especially if they're dealing with time travel, it's almost certainly Booster Gold. Right. So. But we'll see if we're right about that. You heard it here. You may have heard it here first, folks. First, folks. Um, Titans cast Vampire Diaries uh, star as a season four villain. So let's see. Let's see. Uh, Joseph Morgan has officially signed on to portray a villain in the upcoming fourth season of DC's Titan on HBO Max. Uh, he's going to have a recurring role as Brother Blood. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's a character from the original Wolfman and Perez run on Teen Titans, mm-hmm. and I've seen him come up. You know, he's come up in in uh, with uh, in relation to the Titans or or Teen Titans and or Teen Titans at some point. 
fact, recently, or well, recently, as the last few years. Regardless, uh, he's described as an introverted man with a strong intelligence and a hidden, darker nature, according to Deadline. Nothing else has been revealed about Morgan's version of the character, uh, but it's worth pointing out that Blows of Blood was previously played by uh, Kevin uh, Alexandro Alejandro in season two of Arrow. Which, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, uh, in that, DC series Brother Blood served as a supporting antagonist in the present day storyline under Manu Bennett's uh, Slade Wilson, aka Deathstroke, which I vaguely, barely remember that. So, sure. There you go. They recast Pietro. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's it. Next up. Uh, next up, we have a trailer for HBO Max's Looney Tunes cartoons Valentine's Extravaganza Family Special. So you'll see on the video in front of you that a new trailer has been released uh, that is headed to HBO Max. You know that this you know for the show that's going to be. Headed to HBO Max. The special features beloved characters like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and Porky Pig. Plot details are unknown, but for now, Warner Brothers teased a quick synopsis saying, In this love struck episode, Porky's sweet on Petunia, but Daffy's sweet on Porky Sweets. Yikes. Then Bugs comes face to face with an unexpected admirer. These and more romantic misadventures are in store for the Looney Tunes characters. They say you don't want to miss it. Yes. And it's uh, Looney Tunes cartoons Valentine's extravaganza because you know Elmer Fudd had to have something to do with this, I guess. Ah, uh, did I say extravaganza? Probably. You yeah, probably. You know how our brains kind of correct those things automatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to make note of that weird that that titling. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, let's see. <laughs> nice. Um, the Batman's. It's one of those times when I'm using that sound effect not for shots fired, but to help out the Elmer Fudd uh, uh, impression. <laughs> exactly. Um, the Batman's full funeral scene has officially been released online thanks to Matt Reeves. Uh, so, yeah, Matt Reeves uploaded the funeral scene for his upcoming film, The Batman. Uh, you can watch it if you want to. I have not, and probably. I don't think I need to see anything else else until the movie comes out, honestly. Um, So, but it's out there if if you are, if you are so inclined. Uh, Wait, this says what do we, I think we already knew this because I think we talked about this last week. Uh, Advanced tickets go on sale on the 10th of this month, February 10th. So that's in a few short days. Um, And it comes out on March 4th. So there you go. Next. All right, next up, Stephen Amell has begun training for Heels Season 2, and you can see uh, part of that in a new video that has uh, hit the internets. So, okay, this is not comic book related, but we know Stephen Amell was was, uh, Green Arrow. We know this. I'm going to say, as a person who doesn't give a fuck about wrestling, this was actually not a bad show. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm slightly actually curious about, um, the next season, especially with the way it ended up. Um, so this is a star show, uh, um, you know, for those who enjoy, and if you're a fans of wrestling, you might, you might be interested in this. I think if you're not already watching it, so he actually does a pretty good job, uh, you know, uh, in this. So, yeah, 
check it out if you feel like it. Who knows? And I guess it's also worth noting Michael Waldron, who created Loki, is also behind this. So and co-writer of uh, Doctor Strange. So take that for what it is. Next up. Next up is you. I oh, did the Stephen Amell. Oh, okay, good. Sorry. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen gets super significant announcement on February twelfth. Okay, that's not cryptic. Uh, the official Twitter account for Jujutsu Kaisen anime revealed uh, today. Well, revealed that in celebration of Jujutsu Kaisen Zero being a blockbuster hit, the film will be getting a thank you stage at Toho Cinemas. Hibuya, uh, Hibuya, excuse me. Um, if I'm pronouncing that right. Regardless, after the screening of the film scheduled to start at uh, on start start on February 12th, uh, during the stage, a super significant announcement for Jujutsu Kaisen will be presented. I'm going to assume that season two has got to be. Yeah, yeah, because I think they've already an, uh, or they may be announcing when the uh, the movie's going to hit stateside. That also, yeah, that's probably going to come along with it. But yeah, I, that, that's. Super significant. That's got to, well. Actually, it says here already that it's uh, March eighteenth. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say because I'm pretty sure they announced it, but I wasn't sure. I didn't take a look at the article. Yeah. Uh. So, so yeah, yeah, that's more than likely the case. They're going to announce season two. Mm-hmm. So good because I'm waiting for it now. Where's fucking Fire Force season three? God, God dog on it. Anyway, I actually, still haven't gotten through the first two episodes of Fire Force, so that's yeah, still on the back burner. No pun intended. Ha <laughs> ha. Nice. Next up. Next up. Next up by our very own Tim Dog ninety eight, an article via comicbook.com. The uh there is a reboot of the popular nineties animated series SWAT Cats. Now I'm showing my age because I haven't got the bloodiest clue what the hell that is. I mean, seriously. I do know what it um, is, but yeah, I rarely watch where, where where's Karath when I need him? Ooh. Thank you. <laughs> so I had to explain uh, SWAT cats to uh, a friend of mine who was of the age to watch it, but apparently they were not uh. watching uh, me and I've been watching cartoons or this particular cartoon at the time. So, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, so there is a reboot in the works uh, from the show's creators, Christian and Yvonne Tremblay, who, uh, and they're collaborating with a Toons Media Group for SWAT Cats Revolution. The new series is billed as being for kids in the age range of 5 to 11 years old, featuring new characters fighting alongside our heroes, Razor and T-Bone. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if the name doesn't, doesn't, doesn't incite anything, it's basically about these two cats who, um, who I guess, run SWAT missions in their fighter jet and, uh, with their, and, and other stuff. Um, they they fight crime not in a future time, but in whatever time this thing is set in. So I remember watching like an episode or two of it, but like I said, this was kind of past my time. Um, Wait, this is the top. This was the top animated syndicated show in 1994, I guess, and it wasn't on for that long. So yeah, but I, like I said, I remember seeing a couple of episodes of it, but I was like, okay, yeah. This, this I mean, I was still conscious of of what the cartoons were in 1994. Right. I was like early in college, so right, you know. Same. When when you're when you're uh, oversleeping and not going to class, you try to see what's on TV, and sometimes you catch cartoons. You know, I mean, listen, we were Animaniacs uh, devotees, absolutely, uh, in the dorms at that time. So, um, you know, when that stuff came on, forget it. 
Right. Oh, I mean, I never really strayed away from comics. It's just like that that later batch. I did oh, cartoons. Really no, specifically cartoons. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I never really strayed away from it. It's just like certain stuff, like the later, like Ren and Stimpy stuff. Well, I did watch some Ren and Stimpy stuff a little bit, but like the later stuff that ended up that people like uh, the 90s kids glom, glom on about, I never really got right. on to. Right, know. right, right, right. Like the early, early 90s stuff, like early Ren and Stimpy early beavis and butthead right you know like you had to have mtv to watch that stuff so mm-hmm. um i didn't have cable at the time so i wasn't into it right exactly but the the later stuff like the the arnold's and the and the and the the rugrats and stuff yeah, like that's that. a some completely that different generation exactly some of that i didn't really get on to um gotcha, gotcha and gotcha. podcast was oh. kind of sort of you know but yeah i do remember seeing some of it on cartoon network so and it's a hard kind of barber joke surprisingly enough so yeah Anyway, right, next up for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons live action TV series finds a new dungeon master, apparently. Um, uh, not to be confused with the little bald headed dude that's on the, 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 the animated show uh, from back in the 80s, I'm sure. But uh, let's see. It says the series, which was first confirmed at the start of 2022, had originally been expected to be developed by John Wick writer Derek Kolstad. But now he's out, and Rawson Marshall Thurber is in. Uh, Deadline reports that Thurber, whose most recent gig saw him write and direct Netflix's hit, uh, oh no, uh, hit action romp Red Notice, will write and direct the pilot script as well as executive produce the series. That's not a good sign because no, Red Notice sign. put me to sleep. It didn't put me to sleep, but I just thought it was basic. Um,. Yeah, so that's it. but I agree, it's not a good sign. <laughs> not a good sign at all. Let's see. Uh when ep- when exactly Thurber will film the episode is uh, unknown. Uh it's got some oh no. He's already booked to write and direct two sequels to Red Notice, which uh Netflix plans to shoot back to back. So we don't know when uh Dungeons and Dragons will go to start date. Yeah. All right then. Moving right along, and the article kind of goes on to some other D and D related uh, media stuff. Okay. Uh, last but not least, in uh, cinematic news, and mm-hmm. this would fall to me. Yep. Uh, Deadline is reported that Jason Momoa has joined Fast and Furious 10. That's F10, the next installment in the Fast and Furious series. Uh, Vin Diesel, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Michelle Rodriguez, and Sun Kang are expected to return with Justin Lin on board to direct. Diesel and Lin are producing. Plot details are unknown at this time. The film is set to bow on May 19th, 2023. And, uh, you know... So we're going to re- replace, uh, you know, one uh, kind of um, big muscle dude for another. Yeah. Big muscle dude of, uh, you know, uh, Asian Pacific Islander descent with another, <laughs> yep. you know, say bye to the rock. Say hello to Jason Momoa. But, well, two things. Uh, one, depending on where you read this, he's still in talks for it. So this is I'm not sure if this has been com- com- completely confirmed uh or at least at the time that this article came out, which was a few days ago, um, last month. And there was, I think, I don't know if this article goes into it, and it does not, that he may be playing the villain. Right. Uh, villain role in this, but we don't know. And I like how it says, plot details are unknown at this time. Guess what, folks? Uh, 
the plot details of Fast and Furious, even when are they come out, are, exactly, are still unknown and, and unnecessary. <laughs> I saw I saw a meme that a buddy of mine put up that had uh, that 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 had Vin Diesel's face on. Uh, you know, no, it was. Um, I'm sorry. It was Vin Diesel driving a, a charger, a souped-up charger, mm-hmm. but the charger was in the place of the Batmobile from the Justice League movie. And Aquaman with Jason Momoa is holding on, and 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 saying like, "Yeah!" Mm-hmm. Uh, right. <laughs> I started laughing. It was funny, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Now that I think about it, because I think the Batman, uh, Robert Pattinson, since what Matt Reeves is the Batman, is also driving a charger, kind of. So they could have done that also. <laughs> that's, that's so funny uh but yeah so that's that fast and furious still trudges along uh yeah we're still going to be along <laughs> for the ride oh All my right. god we are i was about to say to... before we transition to comic news okay. do we have anything for anime corner no actually um as i told you before as i told i just said before the show i haven't uh caught up on the last couple of weeks of demon slayer Boo. Nor actually, not I think about the last couple of uh, episodes of uh, Samurai Shampoo, which I was kind of going back through um, mm. before I hit uh, my hero. So, God, gotcha. no, nah, I haven't really hadn't had a chance to uh, hit up any. Yeah, thankfully, Roddy Cat's not that far behind on Demon Slayer. It's only two weeks worth. Um, I would say that it's very, very fun. I think this entertainment district arc is rapidly coming to an end mm. but it's been pretty interesting i think they're going to split the season into two parts again probably uh, um you know because of the pandemic being just wrecking havoc wreaking havoc and wrecking schedules that's really what i wanted to say sure wreaking havoc and wrecking schedules for all animation studios um because a lot of this stuff you have to remember is hand drawn so they right. need people to uh, to do that and uh you know during the pandemic they were uh sending messengers with artwork and whatnot and it you know it's it's one thing to be able to work together in a studio it's another thing to have to do it the way they've had to do it over the last two years right um although i think for in- is kind of a partially cg uh drawn i believe right I'm well not sure. well but, yeah exactly but, that but you your know, point still stands on a lot of other stuff exactly exactly it's still there's still a lot of uh, effects that the the pandemic has had on the animation process as a whole right uh i would also say that uh, attack on titan continues to uh throw lots of curveballs at everybody if you have not spoiled yourself yet with how the manga ends um you know, it, it, this is definitely full of surprises. I think that, uh, and we've said it before, that uh, these anime are adaptations of the manga or the manga. So they do not necessarily hew that closely with how the manga ends or, you know, what, whatever story points that they might hit. So I think it's worth uh, watching the anime just to see how it's executed and see how closely it, it follows the manga. So that is it for Anime Corner. <laughs> Indeed. And now we move over into the comic book news. Um, Aquaman concept art revealed. I was about to say, I was going to play another transition. But oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. No, go for it. Actually, I just thought about something because I would have also done. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, um, it, look, if I had a Batman story, this would have been way perfect. But Aquaman concept art reveals a pair of classic Teen Titans new looks. So two classic Teen Titans will be joining Jackson Hyde in his new ongoing series, Aquaman. Uh, Aquaman written by Brandon Thomas and Chuck Brown, drawn by Sammy Basri and colored by Adriano Lucas is the upcoming series that allowed that follows Jackson uh, as he adjusts to the pressure of becoming Aquaman, which is the name of the miniseries that he's doing right now, which is, is going on for him right now, which is leading up to Aquaman, which is the uh, team up with him and Arthur Curry, by the way. Uh, the book coincides with DC celebration of Black History Month and gives a hero then an eclectic cast of underwater characters to support him, including Arthur Curry, like I said, Mira and Jackson's estranged father, Black Manta, who also has a miniseries going by, which going on right now, which is about to end, I think, and also being written by Chuck Brown. Um, hometown. Shout out. Um, so yeah, but yeah, so some concept art out there with uh, uh, Jackson Hyde. You can see that right there. There's Tempest, and there's also, um, um, oh, what's the, what's the, Tula, that's her name. Uh, you may know a couple of these characters from Young Justice, so, and Titans. Uh, next up. Next up, and this is, uh, these are spoilers for the Batman Catwoman special number one that came out, I think, two weeks ago? I believe so. This was the uh, the John Paul Leon story that he was unable to finish because he uh, unfortunately passed away uh, while he was working on it due to complications from uh, a reoccurrence of cancer. But in this issue, uh, it was revealed, uh, again, spoilers, that at least in the Tom King continuity of Batman in the future, that uh, the daughter of Batman and Catwoman, Helena Wayne, would partially, t- would at least at some point take on the role of Batman after Damien. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Cool. <laughs> Next up, um, and also some sad news. Um, well, not, sorry, that, that was a... <laughs> I didn't mean that the way it sounded. Mm-hmm. Um... Because that last thing wasn't sad news, but going on what you said about um, John Paul uh, Leon, yeah, exactly. Uh, Brian Augustin, longtime DC editor and Batman Gotham by Gaslight writer, dies um, after suffering a stroke, according to a Facebook post from his longtime collaborator and friend, writer Mark Wade. Uh, Wade disclosed the news of Augustin's death. Like I said, on his Facebook page, uh, noting that Augustine's family requested for him to make an for for him to make the announcement, uh, and it, uh, this article goes on into the career of uh, Brian Augustine. So uh, condolences to um, his family and friends. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was shocked to see the name because uh, uh, you know it's a name that is especially if you were reading DC. Uh, any you know, like a lot of things DC in the '90s, it's a name that you recognize. I remember seeing his name on uh, the Flash mm-hmm. with Mark Wade. That's where I remember when you know when they were making Wally West kind of like the prime Flash at that point um, in the '90s. Augustine and Wade worked you know uh, closely on that Flash series. 
Right, and in addition to that, it says here, JLA Year One, he did some Justice League, Flash, Wonder Woman, like I said, uh, and, you know, he's he's done, it looks like he's done, he's had his fingers in a lot uh, over Mm -hmm. the the years. So, but uh, yeah, there is that. Alrighty, next up, uh, McFarlane Toys' The Batman Wave 2 figures have their masks off. So the very first wave of movie toys based on The Batman may already be on shelves at a store near you, but it's time to reveal McFarlane Toys' The Batman Wave 2 figures. And two of the three new 7-inch figures are variants, with one all-new figure in the Penguin. With the first three all wore masks, the, uh, these three have them off. Batman, Catwoman, and Riddler specifically. Penguin's identity is never secret, so it does, in fact, show the transformed face of, uh, oh, what's that character? What's the actor's name? Colin Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That that Batman looks... (laughs) It's a little weird. Yeah. It's a little weird. Like but the seven-inch scale, I just think, is a little too big for these figures. That's just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes them all look a little too tall, right? Like as if as if uh, Batman wasn't already emo. We got a we got a emo looking figure here. <laughs> it's Cedric Diggory in a Batman costume. We, oh, that's no. going to be the joke for a long time. <laughs> Wait, I'm not sure if I even know that reference. I don't think I do. Cedric Diggory is from uh, Harry Potter. That was the character wow. that uh, Pattinson played in Harry Potter. Oh, more wait. people obviously know him from what is it, Twilight? Twilight, yeah. Is that the one that yeah. always got got was always having bad luck to happen to him, or something always happened to him in Harry Potter? No, no, he was only in one movie, but he oh, was okay. the he was a, a a talented, handsome dude that gets killed. Oh, spoiler alert spoilers. for Harry Potter and sure. the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, for a what decade old movie or whatever, or and books and even Probably older book, books. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, move right along, though. Uh, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League, uh, reportedly delayed until twenty twenty three. So Rocksteady's next DC game, uh, the aforementioned Suicide Squad, uh, killed the Justice League, may have been delayed. Uh, as reported by Bloomberg, the upcoming game has been pushed back a year after initially announcing a 2022 release window. Warner Brothers Games is gearing up several releases this year, including, um, speaking of, uh, Hogwarts Legacy and Lego Batman, which I thought uh, Hogwarts Legacy also might have got pushed. Uh, I was slightly looking forward to, well, I'm definitely looking forward to the Suicide Squad game whenever it comes out. And that Gotham Knights game that Warner Brothers is also putting out was also, I think it's still slated to come out this year. Uh, not sure. And the, that Lego Star Wars uh, Skywalker collection or whatever the, the case may be, I think it's still coming out. Uh, and I believe, like I said, I thought the Hogwarts Legacy, uh, which I believe is like a, supposedly like an MMO uh, situation. And I was kind of, um, curious to play might have got pushed I might be wrong about that part but according to this article it's still saying it's coming out might have been pushed later this year but I think uh, it still got pushed nonetheless I'm not sure but also I'm still kind of not sure about putting money in um, just kidding's pocket gotta, okay. gotta, gotta say that but nevertheless um, so yeah the Suicide Squad game looks like it's been pushed 
Um, and if that's the case, then hey, you know what? More time for a video game to come out. The less buggy, hopefully, it shall be. So, I'm, I as long as it comes out, that's fine. Next up, Marvel's Avengers video game is back with another Avengers Endgame surprise. Last week, Crystal Dynamics treated fans on Google Stadia, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, S, and X to the game's (laughs) first Spider-Man MCU suit since the character's release. Okay. Yeah, I've been meaning to check that game. I had the game. I don't know. So I think so. Basically, they have an in-game shop where they're you know just like other games, you can you can buy costumes for the characters. Um, I don't know if this one. I assume this one's probably not free, or because I know they've given away some stuff for free and some stuff is in the shop for in-game currency or what have you. Um, so not sure which one this one is, but it's there. And right. it looks and you like, also get new. Uh, MCU suits for Hawkeye as well. Right, I was about to say that because you see that there. And actually, now that I think about it, oh, it says, yeah, get it in the marketplace on February 3rd, which is today as of, or which was yesterday as of uh, the start of this The ending of this recording, exactly. Yeah, so there you go, folks. It's out there if you want those. Um, Go check them out. Next up. Uh, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Wolverine, and the Hulk are back as the Fantastic Four soon. At some point soon. Uh, in a press release, Marvel Comics announced uh, Peter David and Alan Robinson would helm a new Fantastic Four series, which probably is going to be um, <laughs> um, in the, from the past. Um, as they tend to do with a lot of Peter David stuff recently. Uh, but anyway, that's just me saying that, not the article. But slated to arrive in May, the team will consist of the aforementioned characters, uh, except for Ghost Riders Dan- Danny Ketch, but everybody else is the ones you know, uh, who named the ones you know. Uh, the series will take place shortly after, here we go, the, sh- the series will take place shortly after the group's first appearance in 1990's uh, Fantastic Four 347. So it is indeed a new, quote-unquote, new old uh, story. Uh, the plot synopsis for the series reads uh, I'm not even going to go into it but basically they all get together in Vegas and some stuff happens which given that this is an old story and given what happens with uh, <laughs> Ghost Rider in uh, Vegas soon I can't help there's going to be a tie but probably not anyway next up next up so uh Peter Parker and Mary Jane tie the knot all over again in the upcoming Spider-Man The Wedding Album Gallery Edition and Oversized Hardcover Gallery Edition. So the hardcover collects not only the original wedding story from 1987, God, that's all, God, 87, but also the version that ran in the Spider-Man newspaper comic as well as an alternate wedding story. The issues included in the Gallery Edition are Amazing 290-292, What If 20-21, Amazing Annual 21, Spectacular Annual number 7, Marvel Saga, The Official History of the Marvel Universe number 22, and Not Brand Ech number 6. So the 296-page hardcover will have a trim size of 9 by 13 inches and will be released on August 31st with an MSRP of $44.99. I've been wanting to get those uh, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man newspaper collections, um, but they're kind of pricey. Also, dun, mm. dun, 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 tie the knot, tie, tie the knot, if you know your digital uh, underground uh, songs. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's out there if you want this, I guess. I don't know. I, 
it's curious that this is this is actually being out there. But nevertheless, moving right along, fundraiser to provide students with free copies of Mao's uh, Smash's Goal. Uh, a fundraiser campaign seeking to provide students with free copies of uh, Art Spiegelman's Mouse has more than tripled and nearly quadrupled its $20,000 goal, having made over 77000 at the time of the writing, which was a, a few days ago. So if you don't know the story behind this, apparently um, uh, schools in Tennessee banned this uh, Mouse book uh, from its curriculum. Uh, excuse me, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, in Tennessee, I was right. Uh, and the news came out recently, so there have been uh, fundraising. There's been a fundraising campaign to basically give out the book for f- for free uh, to to students be, uh, because of that. So if you, and if you did not know about the story of this graphic novel, it's, it says it uh, uses postmodern illustrations to tell the story of the Holocaust. Um, um, with mouse with mice as the um, uh, as the characters. So, but yeah, um, and I think what it says, Nirvana Comics, which is a comic book shop based in Knoxville, Tennessee, is, is the one that launched a GoFundMe campaign. Uh, that is apparently doing well. So, next up. Yeah, I can't help but think of the uh, the 90s, early 90s hip-hop group Arrested Development every time I hear Tennessee. Yeah, ballot. Can't help but think of it. Anyway, last, last, last but not least this week, Archie and the gang are about to meet their Riverdale counterparts. The worlds of Archie Comics and the CW's Riverdale collide this May thanks to an all-new Archie meets Riverdale crossover written by Daniel Kibblesmith with art by Pat and Tim Kennedy, Bob Smith, Matt Herms, and Jack Morelli. Archie meets Riverdale number one is a one shot that blends Riverdale with the comic books that inspired the hit CW drama. Uh, Let's see here. Any more information? All right. So the on sale date is May 11th. It's a 32-page comic, and it uh, retails for $3.99. Sure. Um, and that, folks, as we look at the cover of this here um, one-shot, is the end of the news uh, for the night. And we get one more uh, ad read, please. Our last ad read of the night, and you know what we read when it's late and we're tired, keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through cspn.us. Do it today. Actually, I want to revert back to something really, really quick. Um, uh, before we end up, and this is just something that I noticed just now, because there was an article uh, about um, from CBR saying that, hey, uh, Marvel, uh, Marvel She-Hulk just received a new power 15 years in the making, which is actually true, but... At the same time, it's kind of funny because I feel like she's had some version of this 
quote unquote power. So yeah, in the in the in the book um Fantastical Reckoning War, she ends up talking to the uh couple of TVA agents that she can see and no one else can. So this article is basically saying that she she's well, and even they, as they said in the book, she's uh chronically sensitive. Mm-hmm. In other words, because of her past dealings with the TVA. Um which I feel kind of funny because like it feels like a, a version of basically them saying, well, she's breaking the fourth wall in a way, not necessarily directly, but we know that her, she's done that in the past. She was actually basically a Marvel's Deadpool mm-hmm. in, in, in a quite sense. So this new chrono sensitivity, it feels like it's kind of grounding that a little bit, but it could be, you know, I, I just, they've given, yeah, I was about to say, they've given the Hulk similar powers where he can see ghosts. If I'm not mistaken. Hmm. You know, just because of the nature of this gamma powers. So, sure. yeah, they, they've played a little fast and loose with the, the gamma powers that the She-Hulk and, she, and Hulk got. Well, yeah, but this wasn't even, I don't think this was because of gamma. This was just because, like, hell yeah, we, we the, the TVA did whatever with her in that, <laughs> in that old slot book. And therefore, he's reused it in this for that. <laughs> so, whether this has come up. And also, there was, there was something saying that the, even from that, in this which we forgot to mention that apparently reckoning war is all she hulk's fault according to what they say yeah well, according the to the callback yeah. to the the um the the her her book from the past so yeah mm-hmm. there's that so i just wanted to bring that up real quick because i didn't want to bring it up next week <laughs> if i'm being honest now we're gonna uh roll this uh oops i didn't even do that uh i'm gonna roll this beautiful bean footage on home by saying thank you, each and every one of you fine folks, for coming out here tonight. Um, we will be back next week, as we tend to do uh, every week about this time. I have been Rodicat. You can find me on uh, at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Notes Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. PC and underscore dirt on Twitter, popcorn.net on Twitter, popcorn.network.com, and his umbrella sites therein. And Tim, D O G G 98 on Twitter, uh, uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Combo Chronicles Twitter account, uh, The Click Nation on Twitter, that's the V K L I Q N A T I O N, all, all bunched together. Excuse me. But also, you can find Tim. Uh, over at comicbook.com right in his face off. Excuse me. Uh, you can find this here podcast on the Coastal Zone Podcast Network. That's cspn.us. Do it today. You can also find this podcast on your podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal Zone Podcast Network SoundCloud page. Uh, you can find us recording here every Thursday night, unless there's uh, some sort of movie protocol or some some holiday or something. Every Thursday night, nine thirty ish p.m. on uh, the channels of the YouTube of uh, excuse me YouTube.com/slash/TheClickNation and uh, com- uh, Twitch.tv/slash/ComicBookChronicles. You know, like and subscribe. Hit them, bu- hit them buttons. You know what to do. Smash them! Yeah. <laughs> Please and thank you. Um, but that's it. Yeah. So we are going to get out of here. We will be back next week. Like I said, I don't think there's anything special outside of the fact that uh, the last episode of Book of Boba Fett 
and yeah, another I think episode so. of Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it, though. I think so, too. Yeah. So. No, uh, we don't have any movie protocol movies coming up, at least for the rest of the month. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we have that. Yeah. We don't have anything other outside of that. So yeah. Moon Knight's coming out, but that's a show, and that's March, so... So mm-hmm. we don't, we don't yeah, I don't know if I'm going to have opening night for Batman. We'll see. Yeah, oh yeah, that is that too. Yeah, I don't think that's going to... But that's March, so... Right, yeah, both of those are March, and yeah, we'll... But, like I said, if things change, we'll let you know ahead uh, when it gets closer to the time. That being said, this has been The Comic Chronicles. Peace. Peace, one. And knowing is half the battle.